Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Primal Podcast. If you're like me, you're probably sick of all the guesswork when it comes to your training, your health, trying to achieve your goals in life, and you're probably frustrated by all the old wives' tales and rhetoric that surrounds health and fitness these days. When my mate said that his dad told him that they ran 17 miles of a mountain holding eggs between their ass cheeks five days a week to train for the ping pong tournaments. So we should probably try that. If you're tired of trying all the fads and not really knowing what you're doing or why you're doing it, particularly if what you're doing is trying to get fitter and healthier, either to be a better athlete or just to be fitter and healthier, then this episode is going to tickle your fancy. My guest today is Sean Canan from Health Matters. Sean holds qualifications in advanced nutrition and health coaching, nutritional therapy, he's an advanced sports and exercise nutrition advisor, and he's one of the most, if not the most, experienced practitioners in Ireland when it comes to VO2 max and metabolic testing. These are tests which are used to essentially find out how efficient your body is at using oxygen and how this affects your performance, your health, your ability to train and so on. At first, I did think that this might be a bit too niche and technical to have a whole podcast on. But after speaking to Sean for five minutes and seeing just how much knowledge he has on health as a whole, I knew how important this chat would be. Not just for the ultra nerdy sports scientists or elite athletes out there, but for anyone who wants to understand the foundations of getting fitter and healthier. And to be honest, that should be all of us. I genuinely buzzed off this conversation with Sean. There's so much value in podcasts like this and he's giving it to us for free. So it's well worth grabbing a pen and jotting down a few notes during this episode because you'll pick up a few bits that can definitely help change how you're living and how you're training. Enjoy. Welcome to our shared journey to find the answers to questions about health, wellness, nutrition, performance, life and success and to craft the most resilient, hardy and happy humans you've ever seen. Welcome to the Primal Podcast. Sean, come on. How are you getting on? Good, man. How are you? Not too bad. Thanks very much for joining me on the Primal Podcast. No bother. My pleasure. Uh, we've essentially done a podcast before turning the mics <laughs> on now. We've been, we've been here chatting away. So I'm, to be honest, I'm very excited about this because I, I, anybody knows my background. I've studied in this realm, um, VO2 max, athletic performance, um, physiology, sports, biology, all, all this sort of stuff. But it's been a long time since I've been in that world. So I'm very, very excited to refresh my knowledge. And I know you're the man to do it. Um, like I do in every one of these podcasts, would you mind giving us a little introduction to yourself, a little bit about your past, your history, and how you got to where you are today? And we'll explain all of that, where you are today, when we get to it, but would you mind giving sure us a little background? Sure, man. No bother. So, uh, as you said, I'm Sean Canan. I run and operate a company called Health Matters. It's been an operational 10 years. Um, I've done over 10,000 VO2 tests. I'm one of the most active tests in Europe. Um, I'm an advanced exercise nutrition advisor. I am a sports performance specialist and I've recently graduated as a nutritional therapist. So <laughs> a <long> list. <laughs> there's, there's lots going on. It's something I'm massively passionate about and I love doing what I do. So as you said, we've, we've covered a lot already before we even got into it and I, I even held back on it. So yeah. I, I'm looking forward to it. It's, it's going to be exciting. So I set the company up 10 years ago um, having worked as a personal trainer in Australia, came across the equipment, really started to look into it a bit more, really found it beneficial, seeing the niche in the market and went for it. Don't get me wrong, at the start, 10 years ago, I was up playing FIFA till three in the morning. I might have two clients a week. 
three clients a week and it was just through hard grit and determination starting canvas in 6am one side of the city canvas in 7pm another side of the city and just willing to work willing to ring people I've no issue with people saying no and then just proving my worth and developing a brand and establishing being the best at what I do in the country yeah yeah so does there's so many parts to this that I really enjoy and the reason I do these conversations is one, you've built your own business. I think mm. that's amazing. It's an incredible thing to do, especially something you're so passionate about. But the world you've built your business in surrounds something I'm really interested in. And I looked at the the uh, the, the main logo or the main kind of first sentence you see on your website is take control of your own health. And that is just a phrase I bandy around all the time. And you've taken this to a really, really deep and comprehensive level. Um, a lot of people who listen to this you mentioned VO2 Max there. That's going to be a huge central part of what we talk about today. And mm. it's one branch of the many, many things that you do, which we'll touch on. We'll probably need to do another podcast to get to that as well. No problem. Um, but to start us off and to ease into this world of, of, I mean, you're talking about you're doing X amount of tests every year and you're very, very active doing all this. Some people don't even know what a VO2 Max is. So how about we start from the very, very basics. Now, I said I studied this years ago. Treat me like I know absolutely nothing because I've probably forgotten most of what I do know. Um, and let's start with VO2 Max. What is VO2 Max and why is it relevant? Right, so VO2, um, what it stands for, it stands for volume of oxygen and it's measured in milliliters of oxygen per kiloweight of body mass averaged over a minute. Okay. So it's a number. It's a number. Theoretically, all right. Um, it's not the be all and end all. It is a number that can change with weight, with training, um, it's not what people like if you come in and score a low VO2 it's not the end of the world yeah. if you come in and score a high VO2 it's not the end of the world in terms of you're not you mightn't be able to light the world on fire it's a predictor of performance basically and okay. um, we do work with various governing bodies that would require someone's fitness to be at a certain level so they need to score a certain level of oxygen consumption we work with like divers who need to score a certain amount of oxygen usage so it's just it's a number it's a performance indicator the higher the vo2 theoretically the fitter and more healthy you are and in this climate actually if you relevant uh, put it back to the covid 19 those with high vo2s don't suffer massively from COVID. Really? So yeah, they're so able to manage the symptoms better? Yeah, because it's a respiratory disease at the end of the day. Yeah. So when you look into the details of high VO2, which is going to come from exercise training, that people that do get it don't suffer mad, bad symptoms or just don't get it. Yeah, yeah. So VO2 is a number that can change. Okay. It's a predictor of performance, but it's relevant to an individual. So you have to put that into context. People, we would do VO2 testing on sports clubs, on triathlon clubs, and everybody's like, oh, what did John get? What did Mary yeah. get? Well, John and Mary are a foot in the difference in height. They're a different sex. They weigh 15 kilos different. So looking at their VO2 as a number isn't really going to give you much clarity. But everyone still wants that. And especially professional athletes. Like you get a professional athlete that comes in instead of camp, they might score. So you're you're graded basically to 100, from 0 to 100. The highest ever VO2 max recorded in the world is a 96. That was a cross-country skier. Like phenomenal. Like altitude training. It's going to develop a growth of capacity. The highest I've ever personally tested is an 89.8. So like I've seen some really good. So let's work backwards. If you're scoring in the 40s for... A female into our sport, it's good. Male, that's just kind of general fitness, 40, early 50. So naturally male, this isn't being sexist, males are going to have a bigger capacity. They're going to have a bigger lung function. So the VO2 tends to be higher. So a professional female athlete would be probably scoring into the 50s. Endurance female athlete, low 60s. Male endurance athlete, high 60s. When I'm testing people in the 70s, I know we're dealing with some 
really good potential here. Okay. And then when we get people in the 80s, you know, like you this need to... elite level. Yeah, this is a proper elite level. But it can change. And that's one thing. So you get a professional athlete and start a camp. And I'm doing a lot of work with the MMA world at the moment. And they tend to be very, very driven athletes that will always want the best. So you get an athlete that comes in and we're going to touch on all of this over the next while their length of test has gone up their heart rate has reduced so they've become more economical their percentage recovery has gone up their threshold has gone up their speed of breakdown has gone up everything's gone up but their VO2 is down 0.2 of a milliliter and they're devastated you know like the it, number means everything yeah, to them, yeah. <laughs> so it's not always about driving that number higher yes the higher the number the better a prediction of VO2 that's given on like one of the wearables, like someone comes in and goes, oh, my watch tells me I score a 56 and they come in and I'm like, you only scored a 51. They're like, no, no, I didn't. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, your watch yeah. isn't connected to your lungs. So yeah. it's a direct correlation with oxygen uptake. So okay. how much oxygen you consume per kilo weight of your body averaged over a minute. So traditionally when people talk about fitness, now forget the modern world of fitness that includes like CrossFit and weightlifting and all that kind of stuff, your all-round fitness, aerobic fitness. When people say, I am this fit, this is the number we should be looking at. It's how effective your body is at using oxygen, essentially. It's gold but, standard. Yeah, it's gold standard. There's no other test in the world that will give you what VO2 gives you. Okay. So people think VO2 is just a test that gives you a number. But when we go through everything that a VO2 test gives you that we carry out, you'll see, you'll think it's not just a number. So I get questions that are saying but well, why would I want to know my VO2 yeah. because when we know your VO2 we know your heart rate elevation your recovery your training zones your thresholds your breakdown speeds because it's all related it's all directly yeah, related yeah, yeah. and another thing recently that we've done is so a lot of um, organisations that would traditionally do bleep testing or chest or step testing in order to get in for a certain job. I can hear people shivering at the word bleep test. They, uh, <laughs> they can't do it anymore because of COVID because they're saying that the, the doctor or whoever the, uh, the client the person operating the test can't stand too close to them. So now they're okay. saying, okay, so we're going to use a chest or chest test as a prediction of VO2. But now what they're saying, now I've got contact where like, okay, we're actually going to run VO2. Or you have people that aren't getting jobs because they're failing a bleep test because the bleep test is theoretically giving them a VO2 score. I'm like, well, why don't you just do a VO2? Yeah, so you have yeah. someone coming in that needs to get a 38 VO2 max they come in, they score 39, but they still go fail their VO2. Or sorry, they fail their bleep test. So I have someone at the moment that's using my data and taking someone to court to say that they're fit enough to do their job because they've done a VO2 test, but they failed their bleep. Wow. They're not good at turning. You know, so yeah, the bleeper yeah. they have it could to be turn. a biomechanical issue. It is, yeah, yeah, it seems to be a biomechanical issue. Now, this girl is carrying a bit of weight and we're working with that as well, but her VO2 is what it needs to be. Yeah. She's fit enough to do her job. So VO2 can be used for loads of different things. Okay. This is this is why I want to state this at this point in the podcast because <coughs> we are going to go down deep into performance and, and athletic performance and stuff like that as well. But for, for normal life, like you've just mentioned, people now have requirements, aerobic requirements for their job. So for normal life, this is something that has real world applications for everybody, not just for I want to run a, a such and such time marathon, I want to be an elite row or whatever. Mm. This is a health measure. This is a metric, a health metric. Realistically, look, the higher the VO2, the better shape you're going to be in. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, if you can you can look at it in different ways, lung function, um, lung function to weight. So if you're going to drop a couple of kilos to increase your VO2, it's going to benefit you. Yeah. So you've come people, triathletes would be traditional for this or, and a lot of people would be able to link it in. Like how many cyclists do you see that you'll be like, look pal, if you dropped a couple of stone, you'd be significantly better. You're going to be able to carry less weight up a hill. Power to weight ratio, yeah. But your VO2 is going to grow. So let's just use some simple numbers. You score 
a 50 VO2 max and you drop weight. So let's look at what the requirement of weight is. So every single pound of muscle or fat in your body requires oxygen. So if you reduce weight, there's more oxygen in your body to get to the working muscles. So you stay, and I'll cover it in depth, aerobic for longer. So you stay efficient for longer because you've reduced your weight. Yeah. Because there's more oxygen in the body. Okay, yeah. So it is, it, looking from a sports performance, but from a health predictor, yeah, the higher the VO2, the fitter and healthier you're going to be because what VO2 is relevant to. And just out of interest, while we're on this point, what, what are some of the jobs that have requirements for fitness? Uh, the guards, yeah. the army, okay. deep sea divers, yeah. the prison service, okay. you know, like the fire brigade. We've worked with them all. And is it starting to happen now that you have some corporate environments that are having requirements for their average employees, like de- desk, no disrespect, desk workers? I wouldn't say workers. requirements, but okay. corporate work for us is, is a massive thing where we will go on site. So one of the things that makes my company so successful is that we're portable. We can go anywhere. Like I've worked in Skull and Cork to Letterkenny and Donegal. I'm based in Dublin. Mayo, Cavan, Leitrim. Yeah. You know, I've worked in them all. I can go anywhere. So to be able to provide the level of physiological testing that we pro- provide gives employees or employers a better insight into their employees so okay. they're like okay not that we share the data with the employer but they're like okay we're going to get in Sean's going to do testing on you we're going to set you a task to see if you become healthier fitter fitter, and then we're going to retest you so requirement no for your, your your desk job but definitely more interest in it okay okay right we've we've scraped the surface we, we, we've pressed the button on VO2 let's, let's go a little bit deeper so we, the basic description is it's your body's ability to use oxygen. How efficient your body, how good your body is at mm. using oxygen. Well, let's look at the test, maybe. Yeah, yeah, okay. So yeah, yeah. we do test in VO2 max on run testing, road testing, or bike testing. Okay. And it's a progression overload to failure. That's the easiest way to look at it. And yeah. people are like, what, really? Like, I've had people get sick. Um, I've had people need to sit down post-testing. I've never had anyone get sick in the mask, thankfully. So maybe a description of the test. So what it is, you have a mask on your face with a valve on the front of it. You're wearing a heart rate monitor. First minute of your test, you're standing completely still. All your data will be inputted into the machinery, age, height, weight, experience, level of activity, what you do. And then depending on what your sport is, we would either do it as a run, row or bike test. Now, your traditional triathlete will ask, well, what's better? Well, whatever discipline you want to work on, because yeah. the data is going to be completely different. And we'll cover that when we cover thresholds. Field sport, do it as a run test. If you're just walking, if you're running, if you're not really in a particular sport, I'd say do it as a run test. Because in order to do a bike test and a road test, you have to create power. So I would give you a new aim to hit. So unless you're conditioned to produce power in the legs or as a rower, you're not doing that test. We do it as a run test. So let's use a standard run test as an example. Get your hooked up, heart rate monitor on. First minute of the test, you're standing completely still. So while you're getting still is you're getting your, we're getting your heart rate measurement. We're getting your basic oxygen uptake level. And then we start you walking. So nice and easy, depending on what your 5K pace, 10K pace, marathon pace is, I'll start you at a, at a certain speed. So you'll either start at four, five, six or seven kilometers an hour. And every single minute it gets harder. And you're thinking 10 minutes in, you're thinking, well, this isn't that bad, you know. But you have to remember that further we get into the test, the higher the speeds are. But it's not just speed, there's incline as well. Yeah. So at the end of the test, you could be running 20, 22, 23 kilometers an hour on an 8% gradient. Your average length of test, but people always ask me, and I'm not going to give you the answer now because people then just aim at average. What we want to prove, and the whole point of me operating as a business is to prove individuality. So individuality will bring 
personal success. And individuality based off data from scientific testing is going to stimulate the body the best way. So it's a progressional overload till failure. What my failure is, what your failure is, is completely different. So it's about you. It's not about anyone else. It's about identifying your physiological data and advising and planning to increase it. It is uncomfortable, but it's only uncomfortable for a few minutes. You know, like every single person that comes off the treadmill when we're in the office six, seven, eight minutes later says, I should have kept going. But that's all well and good when you're sitting in my office with no mask on seven, eight, nine minutes after doing your test. But when you're at the end of that test, you have a mask on. It feels like you can't breathe. Why you can't breathe is because you're exhaling so much. The oxygen intake is there. The VO2 maxes are occurring at that point. So your VO2 max is the highest level of oxygen is at the end of your test. Because you're exhaling so much, there's massive byproduct production. Your head, your head is the most important part in a VO2 test. Like I do my own VO2 tests. I've done a hundred more of them. Really? Yeah. Yeah, Because I try out different protocols, understand the mask, make sure I'm okay with it. Every employee I get they have to run a test on me <laughs> so my most recent test that I done when one of the employees was putting me through it it was my head in the last part Yeah, like I've only got into running since lockdown one my sport would be Muay Thai so I wouldn't actually oh ha- you didn't have a running background before this no no oh, no okay, okay. so like I would have always been like believe it or not my family would have been massively involved in sport all our life water polo swimming I was involved in basketball but out of my brothers I was never the most sporty type they played football I didn't I played basketball I gained a bit of weight um, and I started in the gym probably about 15 or 16 just tipping along and then obviously I could be a lot more interested into it but I never actually I say do as I say not as I do yeah. so apply what I know and then I started to run a bit more but when I did my last TVO2 test it was my head I was like you're done Sean and I'm like no you're not keep going you know like so the last couple of minutes you're fully anaerobic you're, you're in pain but you know you can keep going yeah. so we will get people where they completely plateau so the VO2 number just levels out they're not going to physically be able to consume any more oxygen well that was what I was told full disclosure I've done about 10 of these as well as, yeah. a, as a, a guinea pig when I was in college and they told me we can see we know when you're done because we can see the plateau so what I was told now is until you hit that plateau you're not done so keep going and you're dead right it was the head come up to the end and it is brutal because you're literally trying to find your max and I don't most people have never gone there before you've never tried to find your max but these guys were telling me we can see on the graph when you plateau that's when we know you're probably done yeah. but until then you probably have a little bit more to and think. you can see where people go start to go back negative so let's oh, yeah. just use an easy number 60 VO2 max so okay. two minutes they're at 60 VO2 and I'm like alright like sometimes most time the test is stopped by the client. It's signaled to be stopped by the client. Or if there's a safety issue, I'm going to stop it. Or if threshold's been in, max heart rate's in, VO2 max is in, and I say, Dan, you're done. You know, we're going to pull the plug. And you're like, no, I'm going to keep going. Okay. I'm like, okay, well, look, you're paying. definitely pay- didn't say I'm going to keep going. <laughs> you're, you're paying for it, but let's keep pushing if you want to go. You're gaining nothing. And then all of a sudden, 58, 57, the fraction exchange of gases okay. drop off. The breathing pattern changes. You start to panic. And then I'm like, look, your VO2 is down 15 minutes later. We're stopping. 15 milliliters, we're stopping the test. Yeah. You know, so, or a lot of people come off the treadmill. And I'm like, you should have kept going. But there's only so much I can advise. I'm like, right, come on, keep going, keep going. You're safe. I've never had I've had one person fall off a treadmill I'll tell you the story in a minute and they uh, have a big red panic button uh, we do okay good um, like and then like my one, my job and w- one of the things that feedback I'm often given is how 
safe the client feels in my arms in terms of me talking about position, talking about heart, talking about their oxygen, encouraging them to keep going, looking at the position of the treadmill. Like the latter part of the test, I'll change my position so I'm ready to catch them. Wow. Realistically, bike testing and road testing much easier because yeah, yeah. they just fail because they can't produce the power. But with so that's how a VO two bike test would stop is because they, phys they can't physically push the pedals can't anyway. produce the power. Yeah. So I'm asking to hit four hundred and fifty watts. They can't do it on the road test. Four hundred and fifty watts. They can't do it. So that's a stop on that test. Okay. But on the treadmill, you're going to keep going. Yeah. So m one of my jobs and one of the things I really try and get across to the staff is that they have the client safety is number one. So let's say you're keep going. I'm like, right, keep going, keep going. You're like, no, 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 I want out. I'm like, keep going. I have to take what you say. If you want out, I can't be screaming. <laughs> you to keep you going <laughs> yeah. and then you go look there is a bit more in the tank VO2 is averaged over a minute so I'll be able to pinpoint a couple of points I'm like okay you actually scored a 53 here but you didn't hold it so it's average for a minute we have potential to grow here take on advice what I say based on your training we're going to be able to grow your VO2 so you can see there's Brilliant. potential for growth Yeah, you know or you have a client that comes in they're carrying a bit of weight drop a bit of weight people that come in for a job and they're like I have to score 40 alright drop 2 kilos and you'll score 40 you know, yeah. so if you look at it in that sense as well, it's relevant to body weight. Okay. You become more efficient, you drop weight. Yeah, yeah. And I like that, that there's there's multiple ways of looking at this problem of I want to increase my... And someone probably... The competitive people probably say, I want a higher number of my VO2 max. But they're probably coming to, f to find out how they can improve towards their goal, which is... Yeah usually a sports-based goal, is that fair to say? Yeah. So there's, there's multiple ways of doing that. Like you said, you could reduce weight, you could change biomechanics, so you could do, you could do multiple, multiple things and you can implement specific training programs that you would give. Yeah, so when people come in, they so people come to me because they want to get better. Yeah. What's going to make you better as an athlete is to become more efficient. Yeah. And that's where thresholds come in and that's where aerobic and anaerobic capacity come in. So we can go, we'll go straight into it. Yeah, so, let's go for it, yeah. So people will often say VO2 is just a number. How is it going to make me better? So yeah. within a VO2 test, we're measuring everything. Gas exchange, oxygen usage, looking at when you're aerobic, when you're anaerobic, where you need to do your long runs, where you need to do your short runs. So probably let's bring it back and let's look at a heart rate. So this whole theory, 220 minus your age, yeah. is your max heart rate is bullshit. What's the, what's the, the, the name? The, the Maffetone method would be Maff one, 180 minus your age. So it's just a different method. A lot yeah. of people, so you'll have people, use me and my brother as an example. I never get my heart rate over 160. My brother gets his heart rate over 210. Oh, he, he's older than me. He's a competitive swimmer. We, as two people, are exposed to the same DNA and genetics. Yeah. We, of anybody, should have the same heart rate maxes. So if he took 220 minus his age and wanted to perform he would be walking. Yeah. If I took 220 minus my age, I physically couldn't do it. Yeah. So 220 minus your age or 180. Now, the theory on Maffetone is a bit different and I like what he's trying to do. So he's trying to slow people down because everybody just wants to go fast. So the science behind it is that everybody wants to be running faster, faster, faster. So what they are is they're anaerobic. Now, I just want to cover something because it's all related to heart rate. Yeah. What we look at during a test is heart rate elevation. So what is your max heart rate? How it elevates? Is there jumps? Is there drops? And as I was saying off air, I'm delighted to say that I have an affiliation now to get cardiac screening done, Amazing. stress test done, exercise stress test done. Because over the years of testing, done over 10,000 tests, thankfully, I've only stopped less than 10 you know, where I'm worried about heart rate. And within them, two or three people did require heart operations within a very That's short period of time of me stopping their test. So we look at heart rate elevation. It's not considered a sports ECG. However, we're looking at live heart rate consistently. And if there's any variabilities, any jumps or drops, we'll change the monitors, change the pickups. 
add in some electro gels and if it's not working your test is getting stopped and now I can make a direct referral so get your heart rate checked that's brilliant and saving lives like two people have rang me and told me I've saved a life base, which is like if something wants to keep me going and work there it is right that's there it absolutely yeah so what we look at we look at heart rate elevation we look at max heart rate max heart rate to me means nothing nothing because nothing's worked out off max heart rate it's how your heart rate gets there okay then when we stop the test, we do a two-minute active recovery. So we look at heart rate reduction, which is really important. Field sport athlete, MMA athlete, boxer, uh, triathlete, cyclist, they're going to look at recovery from a different perspective. Yeah. Let's look at field sport. A lot of start stopping. Yeah. You need that recovery to be better. Let's look at MMA athletes, boxers. They have one minute in the ring, in the corner. Working with athletes, I say to them, and what they, a lot of the feedback is, so let's say you go on championship rounds, you're fighting someone, and I can tell you right now, Within one minute, you're back aerobic, meaning you're efficient. You're looking across the octagon or the ring at your opponent. You're walking out going, I'm going to, I have more energy than you. I'm back aerobic. And that's a parameter we track when we look at retesting. So your percentage recovery has gone up 20% in eight weeks. You've become a more of efficient athlete. Yeah. Your stroke volume has increased, i.e. the content of blood leaves the heart in one beat. Why has it gone up? Because we're performing more aerobically. We're, we're allowing for this to adapt. So heart rate elevation and recovery is vitally important. If someone's heart rate's not recovering, they're in trouble. Yeah. So as much as elevation's important, recovery's important as well. Okay. So if you come in to me and I'm like, look, your recoveries aren't good enough, it's because you're overloaded. You're, are you always doing anaerobic training? Yeah. Or the other way is, have you just done aerobic base training with no stimulus through anaerobic? Yeah, how do you know? Because your recovery is not great because there's not that stimulus. So we've pushed you to a level you've never been at in the last 12 weeks yeah. and your recovery is not there. So we can interpret that as well. Okay. I, I want to pause on this point because we did we did discuss this briefly just before we turned the mics on, but this is really close to my, my heart as well. And I'm sure anybody who's played sport at any level has seen this happen time and time and time again. It's a cultural thing. It's this... If you're not in the red, if you're not flogged, if you're not going balls to the wall every single time you train, go to gym, go for a run, whatever it is, you're not training. And it's a psychology that builds up. And I've seen it a lot in elite athletes, but I see it at club level as well and in every sport and every discipline. And a lot of coaches don't seem to understand this. They know they've heard the word recovery, but they don't know what that means on a scientific level, what recovery actually means. So could, could you just speak to this a little bit more? If you're not giving yourself the chance to adapt, if you're flogging yourself all the time, if it's constant stress, you're not going to go where you want to go. You're not going to improve. No. So kind of what we need to get to the bottom of now before we go into why yeah. is understanding what yeah. aerobic and anaerobic mean. Yeah. So we've two different energy systems. Theoretically, we're going to step in and out of both, depending on what training or intensity that we're going to do. But let's understand what aerobic is. So aerobic means, and it's very simple, in Latin, with oxygen. Yeah. So with the presence of oxygen. I use the word for people to understand it. So air. Think about that. You're using air. So it means your body is creating energy with the presence of oxygen. So you're working at a rate low enough where you can inhale, fill the lungs, lungs into the bloodstream, heart pumps the blood to the worker muscles. You're efficient. You're durable. You don't break down. You don't produce massive amounts of byproduct because the energy system or the fueling system at that point is fat. So when we're aerobic, the body can only utilize fat when oxygen is present. So this can come into play when we're looking at someone, and it's probably going a bit off topic, but Mary, who wants to drop weight, goes in and all she does is spinning. And it's done anaerobic, yeah. which is without oxygen, fueling source at that point is carbohydrate. We'll tap into that later. Probably yeah, going a bit yeah, off yeah. topic. No, no, away. it's, it's re very relevant. Yeah. It is very relevant. So what we do when we're aerobic is we do warm up, 
cool down, active recovery and endurance running. Endurance slash recovery running. Now, there is what's called aerobic glycolysis when we're aerobic. So that's position. That's a, a heart rate zone. It can vary for people. Let's say 20 beats is what we'd like it to be, look like. So you have what's called AET, which is an aerobic threshold identification. Anything below your aerobic threshold identification, your body's fully using fat at that point for, for fuel. If we look at an average human body, probably about 80,000 calories available from stored fat. Jeez. If we look at storage capacity of glycogen, 2,000 calories. Really? 500 grams. Wow. Four calories per gram. Okay? Yeah. So we start to think and look at it from a sports performance perspective. If you want to go run 100 mile, you ain't going to run it on 2,000 calories no. of glycogen. So look at, the, look at the whole theory behind it. So aerobic, what happens most people is they go anaerobic for everything. They want to go hard, they want to push, they want to break a spread, they want to beat their friend. Traditional club cycles or runs, it becomes a pissing contest where who can go the fastest. So everybody is red. Anaerobic, again, Latin word means without oxygen. So people kind of get confused here. It's not that you're not breathing, but you're not utilising oxygen as high as you were back when you were aerobic. So in the air, there's 20.8% oxygen. Average usage is about 4%. So we inhale 20.8, we exhale out 16.8. So we're aerobic, we're using 4% oxygen. When we turn anaerobic, we start to use less oxygen. The body's fueling system at that point then heavily relies on carbohydrate. So we'll touch on it again in terms of carbohydrate storage. Are you carb loading? What type of intensity you're doing? But when we're anaerobic, we're inefficient. We're inefficient because... We're using glycogen. We're depleting it quite rapidly. We're developing oxygen debt. This is a big thing. Oxygen debt is the reason you slow down. Nothing else. Yeah. Well, there's going to be other issues, which I'll cover in a second, but what stops you from running is oxygen debt development. You physically can't perform anymore at the rate that you want because you're anaerobically or you're in oxygen debt. When you're anaerobic as well, and one of the things that gets a bad rap that isn't really the cause of this is lactic acid. Lactic acid is a byproduct of functioning anaerobically. If you look at lactic as a molecule, it actually gets re-put back into the Krebs cycle, which is your energy cycle. Yeah. It's the body's response to lactic acid accumulation. The body will release hydrogen ions, it will release bicarbonate to buffer and to dilute the acidity that's created in the blood. What the hydrogen ions do is they slow muscle contraction and expansion down. So you start to cramp, you're more receptive to injury. Your oxygen debt development is there. Your glycogen dependency is now empty because you are running out of this level for too long. The body's under consistent stress and strain and then says, you know what, Dan? Shut down. Let's stop here, yeah, bud. Yeah. So you have an athlete that does their long stuff too fast, their short stuff too fast, they go and do spinning. They do no aerobic um, training. So all they're doing is consistently staying anaerobic. So where this will most resonate with people, if you look at a 5K runner or a 10K runner where their times aren't changing, but they feel better, you're running too fast all the time. Yeah. So the magic happens when we're aerobic. Stimulate anaerobic, adapt aerobic. Yeah. yeah so yeah. you stimulate growth in capacity Intervals, less than 60 seconds, will stimulate growth in VO2, will stimulate theoretical growth in threshold, but threshold will grow when we're aerobic. If you can increase the body's output of 
power or speed, you become more e e economical runner. So running economy is going to be better. So if you can run faster for less effort, you're going to win. So what makes people good endurance athletes, or I argue a lot, and people disagree with it, I argue anything less than, or anything greater than 400 metres, runners will benefit from aerobic road training. Yeah, and I've heard that before, and I agree with it. But mm. yeah. So if you can perform higher for longer, you're going to win. Yeah. In, in all sports, if we can grow aerobic capacity, we grow aerobic output. So the faster you can perform economically, i.e. working with oxygen, the better you're going to perform. Yeah. So if you're always overstimulated anaerobic, there's no phase of adaption. So people get, let's bring it back then to using your standard method, 220 minus your age, 180 minus your age, and they go, ah, that's not working. And then they go out and they run, oh, my long runs are done at 160, my fast runs are done at 170. And I'm like, okay, well, where's your aerobic stuff done? So growth occurs when you're aerobic. If you're always anaerobic, there's not going to be a phase of adaption. Yeah. So everybody wants to go red, 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 red. Constant stress. When you start to mix red with green, red with green, yellow with green, just green. So green, I would work with four zones, all right? Some people work with five zones. I have people that come into me and tell me they work with eight zones. It doesn't matter. You have to ask yourself and people have to take personal responsibility on this. I'm into my running now. Every time I leave my house, there's a, a tree outside my door and I look at it and go, okay, what's the objective of this session? Is it aerobic or is it anaerobic? Okay, it's aerobic. I need to keep my heart rate under 160 or yeah. 150 or whatever my numbers are. Or if it's anaerobic, okay, my average heart rate needs to be this. Okay, what is my session going to be? So today I'm going to go out and I'm going to do a tempo session. What's a tempo session? A tempo session is uncomfortably comfortable. So between one to 40 minutes of an effort, you could do two minute efforts, kilometer repeats, 3K, 5K, 8K, whatever it is. And the idea behind that session is to develop resistance to fatigue. So you need to know what it feels like to be under this pressure. Okay. Interval training is never done right. People come into me and go, I did an eight minute interval. No, you didn't. You did an eight minute tempo. Because if you're doing interval training correctly, you physically cannot do it for greater than 60 seconds. If you can do it for greater 60 seconds, not you're training. not working hard enough. Yeah. So my athletes, I would do 15 by 15. So 15 seconds, max effort, 15 times. It is sick. It sounds sick. Okay. Now what's, what, what's the recovery in there? Okay, so that's a really good point. What makes interval training so successful is the variables that we can look at. So a great uh, acronym is the word DIRTY. Distance, um, intervals, or um, repetitions, time, and I'll have to get you the last one. I'll yeah. come back onto it. But there's so many variables in an interval session. So what time frame you're going to put your effort on? Are you going to do an active recovery? Are you going to do a static recovery? How low is your heart rate going to recover for? So what's really, really vital, and this is something that I met with massive resistance on, is you have to allow your heart rate to get back aerobic on an interval. So you go red zone for less than 60 seconds, allow adequate recovery to get back to green. If you do a static recovery that drops your heart rate to blue, you're never going to get back to red on your time frame. Okay. Okay. If you go red, and this is one thing that resonates with a lot of people. You go red, don't allow enough recovery. You go yellow, red, yellow, red, yellow, red. That's not interval training because that's anaerobic. You're permanently anaerobic. Interval training should look aerobic, anaerobic, aerobic. One interval. Okay. Repeat, repeat, repeat. As you progress through this 15 by 15, your recovery is going to take longer.
So what was a, oh, I see. What okay. was a 35 second recovery on rep one, two, and three, it's now a 45 second recovery. By the end of 15 rep, you could be a minute and 10 waiting to get back into that green zone. Okay. So you have to be really clear on the objective of the session. Yeah. You have to know what you're doing. And the way you know and is you have to know your numbers. So if you don't know your numbers and you're just working off a formula, you might as well not be using heart rate training. Yeah. Heart rate training works really, really well when you get tested. Let's look at it from a different perspective of, I want to run a marathon. Okay, Sean, I want to run a marathon in 3.30. They come in to me. I know for somebody to run a 3.30 marathon, they have to run five-minute kilometers for 42 kilometers. Yeah. They come in to me, their threshold identification, so anaerobic threshold will get identified. What we'd ideally like is at 12 kilometers an hour, which is a five-minute kilometer. And they go, okay, I want to run at 3.30. I'm like, well, your thresholds come in today at a 5.36 or a 5.40. So your pace at your long runs isn't right at the moment. Oh, no, no, I run 4.36s on my long runs. You're running too fast. No, no, I'm not. I'm like, you are. Okay, have you hit your 3.30? No, why, what happens? Uh, I, I just can't get la over the last four miles. And I'll switch between miles and kilometers as yeah. I talk about <laughs> this. I just always implode on the last four miles of a race. Why do you think that is? Because you're anaerobic. You need to listen to what I'm saying. People don't look at the bigger picture. 42 kilometers, a five minute kilometers is a 3.30 marathon. It's just basic maths, yeah. Yeah, but what people want is they're not looking at, they're like, I can run 10K in 43 minutes. I'm like, okay. So they're thinking they could just scale that up. Yeah, that's a yeah. four minute, 30 kilometer. Great, well done. Speak to me at 20K, 30K, 40K. Yeah. It's not the same. So building aerobic capacity takes discipline. And it's something that people aren't willing to do. Yeah. Now is a fantastic time. I'm working with a group of triathletes who have a great coach called Kyo Fit. And when I approached Mick Kyo about this, he said to me, whatever you say, Sean, we're going to do. So he had the buy-in as a coach and he understood the science and the terminology and everything, why we wanted to do it. We did all their run tests and we did all their bike tests. So triathletes, their data will differ. VO2 is going to be similar. Max heart rate could be quite similar. But thresholds are going to be completely different. Okay. So you might run at 160 threshold and you might bike at 148 or you might bike at 168. So just the assumption that you're going to have a higher or lower threshold that a certain discipline won't work. So they were like, well, we don't have any events. We don't have to go out and flog ourselves. We're looking at this bigger picture. I tested these guys in, I think, early September, maybe even late August. And I put up a thing on my Instagram the other day about one of the athletes who has increased his pace by about 36 seconds a kilometre. And, and his heart rate is the same. So his heart rate at 163 was running a 512, I think, kilometre. Now he's running a 436 because he slowed his aerobic base training down. So his stroke volume went up, i.e. his heart rate, it, the content of oxygen that leaves the heart or the content of blood that leaves the heart won't be increased. So he's now fueling the system better with oxygen for longer but no change in heart rate because the heart rate doesn't need to work as hard. Yeah, yeah. I always ask people to buy into it for six to eight weeks and it can be really, really frustrating where they're getting overtaken by 60-year-olds or they're getting... I split up running partners, unfortunately, because Mary and John can't run together anymore because John runs faster. He has a higher aerobic capacity. His breakdown speeds are higher. You can do your tempos and your intervals together, but your long runs can't be done together. Go out with a slower running group. One of the most detrimental things to performance is people wanting to run faster all the time. And ask yourself, are you recovering? You should come back off an aerobic green run and go, that was fine. 
You should talk the whole way through it. You should come back and go, I don't really feel like I trained today. And that's perfect because that day you drink more water, you get more sleep, you eat more greens. Success happens in a state of rest. State, success happens when we're aerobic. Adaption happens when we're aerobic. Look at sleep as a performance enhancer. If you could tell sleep, it'd be the best-selling drug in the world. Oh, yeah. So we're in a complete state of, of rest. We're aerobic fully. If we adapted across, I know it's not the exact same thing, but when you go out and run aerobically, you will adapt. You will get better. It will be frustrating, but trust the process. And in six or eight weeks' time, you'll be running better than you've ever ran before because your body has adapted. You've become more economical. And that's the theory behind testing. That's why we need to identify this. So going off standard formulas doesn't work them generic formulas don't work. It's about getting your numbers specific to you. So if you're stuck in a rut at the moment, you're either under-stimulating or consistently over-stimulating. So look at it the other way. You have someone that always runs the heart rate based on generic formulas. So 220 minus your age multiplied by X, Y, and Z. So you have someone that goes at 75% of heart rate 180 just because that's their formula and it says their run should be done at 135. They're basically cantering, jogging. Yeah. I get them tested. I'm like, your threshold's not coming into 162. Probably giving them about three kilometers an hour faster to run. So they're constantly understimulating. They're like, well, I can run at that pace. Did a triathlon club recently down in Cork, Crosshaven Triathlon Club. And the guy that um, organized it all, Aiden really bought into his dad and knew his stuff but never got tested and he was like okay I'm running at um, let's say 140 can't remember his specific numbers he came in I was like you can actually run at 163 so I tested him on a Friday and on a Sunday he came into me I was still there in the weekend and he was like oh Sean do you have a minute and I was like Why, what's up Lake he's like I just want to talk to you he's like I went out and I ran 163 and I'm in bits and I'm like man you can't just go out and just because yeah, Sean yeah, says yeah, you yeah. can do it it's about growing it so Average, slightly average heart rate, slightly average heart rate, slightly average heart rate. And look at the theory. If you're under-stimulating on your intervals and your tempos, you're not stimulating growth in capacity. So if you think you're running anaerobic in a tempo session, you could be aerobic. Yeah. And then race day comes in, you're doing a 5K, you're aiming at a sub 25K for a PB and you implode. Why have you imploded or why have you blown up? You've blown up because you're not used to dealing with anaerobic negatives, i.e. lactic acid, oxygen debt development, increase in ventilation, all of that that comes with it. Yeah. So like it, it's, it's such a unique science within itself to understand stimulation in training. Nine times out of ten, people go too hard. Yeah. All the time. There's a few real nuggets of gold in, in what you've just explained to us there, and I'm going to go back through them just briefly before we. Before yeah, I was about to say, I probably cover too much. No, not at all, not at all. But the one, the one thing I will do is I'll just clarify for some people. Like, there's a lot of numbers and figures there that sound scary. I'm, I'm 32 years of age, right, and I've been playing sport, not at, not at a leader, a particularly high level, Division One. Uh, club football and stuff like that but all my life it's been a huge part of my life but I've been involved in the behind the scenes stuff from the medical side from the, the sports physiology all that kind of stuff and only now and this is why I'm really excited having this conversation only now am I starting to acknowledge the importance of testing myself to find out where I am because for every single one of those years I hated being tested and I suffered the same thing for all those years I'm sure probably about 80 to 90% <laughs> of people listening to this suffer is that I never made massive improvements in any specific area because I didn't know what the hell was happening on the inside. I would train, I'd flog myself, I'd take it easy, I'd lift heavy, I'd lift light, I'd run far, I'd run short. But I never really noticed, 
improvement in all those areas. I'd have coaches that had absolutely flogged the life out of you. I'd have coaches that would do nothing, but nothing really worked the way I thought it should work based on the amount of effort I was putting in because I wasn't testing and I hated being tested because I was real competitive. I didn't, if my, I didn't want to be tested because I was afraid my number would be lower than the next fella's number. Yeah. So I always hated it. And now I'm starting to see, only recently, listening to people like yourself explain this, when you do, when you have that uncomfortable moment of this is where you are, and I mean, you have this, you, you smiled when we said this earlier on because you have this conversation with everybody and they tell you, this is where I am, Sean. You're like, actually, yeah. this is where you are. That's not a nice thing for people to hear. But when you absorb that information and you use it, it's like anything else. When you acknowledge, I am this weight or I run this fast or I am this whatever, when you acknowledge that that is the point that you are right now in time, then you have somewhere to go. Mm. Then you have something that you can do with that information and knowledge. Um, so so uh, like all of the the stuff about threshold and VO2 and heart rate and all this kind of stuff, people listen to that and it sounds real scary and oh, I don't want to do that and the thoughts of doing a VO2. But when you have that information, it's like going and getting comprehensive blood done on the doctor. Yeah. You don't, you kind of don't want to know what's going on the inside. But when you get past that stigma and you actually go and figure out and you get the numbers and you get the data and you have someone like yourself that says, right, here's where we are. But not, I'm not just going to tell you where we are. I'm going to tell you how we get closer to where you want to be. And it's not the same for me because I'm a guy player mm. as it is for a marathon runner, as it is for Mary who's just doesn't do enough exercise and sits on the couch. But what I love about this is it's applicable to everybody because you can take all these numbers and all of this data and all this science and you can then actively track where you're going. And I know people are interested in this because we talked about Fitbits and we'll talk about the, the algorithms and stuff now in a sec, but we talked about a lot of people are wearing this stuff now. So they're starting to become a little bit more interested, but they're not interpreting the data right. And as you've explained to me, it's grossly inaccurate a lot it, of the stuff. It is gross. The one I love most is when someone comes in and tells me they scored a 62 VO2 max because their watch told them. And yeah. I'm like, your watch isn't connected to your lungs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they'll disagree with my data. Yeah, I'm like, how? Why? Where are you getting it from? Break it down, what a VO2 predictor is on a watch. It's an average based on testing that a company did. So they might get 40, 50 males, the same age, height, weight as you, and based on the paces that you're running, what was their average VO2? Yeah. But it's probably not even taking weight into consideration. It's just looking at time and pace. Yeah, yeah. You know, or using the numbers. And um, I worked with... This time last year, we ran trials for a company that designs algorithms for a lot of these wearables. And the guys told me themselves that the watches or some of the wearables can be up to 40% inaccurate. That's outrageous. <laughs> 40, you may as well just throw the thing out. Could you just, because I know this and you know this, but you could explain, because many people don't actually understand that there's an algorithm, there's a, there's a, an, a kind of a, a complicated formula guessing essentially based on a wide range of factors what the number it's going to show you on the screen is. So like when you look at these numbers on your screen, it's giving you predictors based on populations and stuff well, like that. Well, it depends what you want to use them for. So the VO2 yeah. we know is inaccurate. I think that they have a very important role. I, I never knew if I wanted a Fitbit or not. I got one recently. Yeah. Um, I'm wearing more now as well, by yeah, the way, just, just yeah, for full clarification. I, I have it on. Um, what does it do for me? On an average day, I could take about twenty five to 30,000 steps, right? In that whole day, if I haven't moved 250 steps in one hour, my watch will beep. I'll get up and I'll walk. Yeah. I track my sleep a bit more. I'm tuning into it a bit more. Like if I go to bed at 10 o'clock and I get up at eight, I think, lovely, I've had 10 hours sleep. But my watch tells me I had five hours, 46. <laughs> yeah, now, I don't yeah, necessarily yeah. agree with them on that much. But my issue with them is accuracy. We wear them too loose. Uh, male might have too much hair on their skin. Their female might have moisturizer and tan on. The accuracy of them is not going to work for heart rate tracking. Okay. 
Okay. Which is what most people actually use them for Absolutely. in a training Now, I've never yeah. had the experience of using the likes of the, the Whoop or the the rings that have come out yeah. I've heard better things about them but you have to take the specific accuracy on heart rate tracking with a bit of a pinch of salt like over the 10 years probably in the last 5 years they've become really really accurate um, sorry a lot more prevalent with people that come into me and based on predicted VO2s and predicted thresholds maybe one in every Hundred or two hundred people, they might be right, and it might just be look at the draw. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stop clocking, and, on and that, then yeah. all of a sudden, John goes and tells his mate that his watch was the best, and John's mate goes and buys a watch because John's mate. And then the accuracy of the data is way off. There's so many variables at play when we look at a wearable. It's using electrodes or light emitting diodes to measure variances in blood flow and things like that. Like there's just so many differences to go on, even on step counters and stuff they're great because of, like, we, we want people to move more but again like what are you doing with your hand like are you writing are you chopping stuff you know like there's well, so this, I have a little cheat code I ride a motorbike when I come back off a 20 minute ride in a motorbike I've done 26,000 steps on. okay yeah <laughs> and I haven't walked anywhere yeah. like or <laughs> my dad he won't listen to this but over lockdown one he got really into counting his steps mad like he's always been into his fitness 69 years of age but if you looked at him you think he He's in his 50s, you know. Okay. And uh, where we live, we live at the bottom of the Dublin Mountains and he's a friend up the mountains. So we got into the habit of walking up to him and then yeah, walk right. to the shop, do this, do this. And then all of a sudden he's like, I'm going to start to cycle. Didn't he start to put the phone in his sock so he could start <laughs> to track his steps, you know. I was like, Dad, would you stop? So people get really into it. Yeah. Um, That's a positive byproduct. Sorry to cut you off. Uh, of these straps, inaccuracies and all that aside, more people are, because I know loads of people who got them and they're just trying to get their 10,000 steps. Yeah. And before, whether it's accurate or not, before they were getting 800 steps yeah. and they were getting roughly eight to 10,000 steps. Absolutely. That's amazing. Like I was saying off air, unfortunately, I did contact the, the COVID-19, you know. So yeah. I, I was in isolation in, in my son's room. And what I said to myself was that every single time I got a phone call, I was going to walk. Now, I'm on the phone a lot in general. I'm one of these people that likes to stay in contact with people. If I haven't spoken to you in two years, I'd have no problem picking the phone up and ringing you. Yeah. Now, I do a lot of business work as well on the phone. I'm one of these people. Again, if you send me an email, I'm going to ring you. So every time I made a point and I was doing 15 and a half thousand steps a day in my son's room. I misheard you when you told me this before and you were like, I started doing 15,000 steps a day. I was like, that's great. And you're like, yeah. no, in the room, in the bedroom. So I will never accept anyone telling me that they can't do 10,000 steps a day. Yeah. I understand we're working from home, but using them as a step counter, as a guide for you to say, or oh, what I did get in the habit of one day, or I was only, I was in the room because we ended up all contacting it, contracting it, unfortunately, so I could come out of isolation on my own. But I was on my isolation on my own for about six days. And I said, every morning, first thing I get up, I do a thousand steps. You know? Yeah. Um, just simple little things like that. Yeah. And I understand people work in environments where they have to sit down, but have a cup of water rather than a bottle so you have to get up and fill it up a bit more every, yeah, yeah, yeah. every 15 or every hour go for a walk whatever yeah. work. slightly getting off topic in terms of the accuracy of them yeah they're great they, they do provide a lot of, of benefits with that but take the predicted zones with a pinch of salt okay yeah if you are serious about heart rate training get a strap so the straps are... Like a chest strap. Yeah, a chest yeah. strap. Now, over the years, I was met with, and over the years, it's been funny to see the change in heart rate straps. Like, I'll name the brands because Garmin Polar are your leading brands. Yeah. Garmin have created one. Uh, they own the brand Wahoo. So Wahoo have come out as a slightly cheaper alternative to Garmin. Like, the old Garmin straps were, like, rigid, solid plastic. 
that would stick into your ribs. Yeah. Like they would hurt. I've had a few of them on, yeah. Yeah, the new straps, the Polars, the Garmin's, the Wahoo's, they're waterproof. Um, female clients, just before we break up, a female client of mine went home with the heart rate strap on and it took about five hours for me to realise it was missing. She still had it on when I contacted her. She didn't realise. No, they're so, so comfortable. Now, they have to be fitted right. Heart rate straps, again, where the inaccuracy comes with them is if they're not tight enough. So the only time I have issues with heart rate monitors is when I don't fit them. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So generally, depending on the female, a female won't be comfortable with me fitting them. So they'll fit them themselves. I would always say skin tight under the bra strap, sports bra. Yeah. So sports bra will keep it held against your skin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Putting it under the sports bra can be dangerous because it can twist. So if the whole electrode or the plastic part of the strap isn't touching the skin, we get inaccuracy. If it's a pickup that unclips, it could unclip or could be still touching the the, the button yeah. you'll get again inaccuracy on it or if they're just simply too loose okay. you need to make sure you know you're wearing them throw a bit of water on the back of them if you're a male that's a, a really really hairy chest some people will shave just where it sits or you could just buy an electro gel like I have people come in going oh, heart rate straps don't work on me I go why they're like oh, it's your own strap they spit on it or they lick it or they throw a bit of water on it <laughs> like it's, it's crazy but if I put a strap on someone and it's not picking up. I'll stop the test and I have electro gel. Like a, a bottle of electro gel costs about seven euro on, on Amazon or on one of the, the online platforms. You could get it and just put a bit of electro gel on it. You've got a conductive surface yeah, then. Yeah, done. Yeah. You know, so if you're serious, Christmas is coming up. If you're serious about heart rate training, get yourself a good heart rate monitor. Now, if you spend peanuts, you'll get monkeys. Yeah. So if a watch comes up in a supermarket or a strap and watch come up for a supermarket for 20 quid, it's not going to really do the what job. What are you realistically looking at for something? Okay, that's, so that's all my equipment is polar. Okay. Um, you'd be looking at, so you have to remember as well, if you get a chest strap, you're going to need something to read it off. Yeah. I personally don't like looking at my phone when I'm running. If you're training in a stagnant position, i.e. on a turbo, in a gym, in a Muay Thai or in a boxing setting where you can have an iPad or something in the distance that can pick your heart rate up, you don't need the watch. So a good heart rate strap would probably cost you about 80, 90 euro. Okay. 120 would be max. Yeah. Then if you want a watch on top of that, that's where the money's going to come in. Okay. Now, so the likes of Garmin would be more expensive for their wearables because they want to earn more money. Yeah. At the end of the day, they're not there for your health. They're there as a company to, to make, make revenue. Yeah. So they'll say this watch has all the bells and whistles, but I don't care what time it is in Africa. I just want to know what my heart rate is. Yeah, yeah. So get a basic model that tracks your heart rate. If you want GPS on it, you're going to spend a bit more money, you know, yada, yada, yada. If you want to put all your data up on Strava, uh, <laughs> that's one of the things recently with the, um, that triathlon group I was talking about is people's runs on Strava didn't start to go up anymore <laughs> <laughs> because they were like oh they're going to see that I'm pacing at a different pace yeah, yeah, yeah. but you'd be probably looking at about like to get a good watching strap 180 to 200 euro okay, okay. you know like it's not the it's not going to break the bank it's well worth the investment but I understand if it's if it's, if it's something that, that people can't afford I would then say well let's get the strap on its own and have your phone in your pocket. Yeah. Not really going to work for long distance running. However, you'll start to notice, you'll start to get comfortable pacing. So pacing is an issue for a lot of people. Yeah. So what heart rate does, you get people in and go, okay, what's your, what's your splits in your kilometers? 436, 510, 440. You're like, what is going on here? Now you need to start to learn to pace. So that comes into play there. Yeah. You know? 
just a little break from the podcast to remind you that my guest today is Sean Canaan from Health Matters. And we're discussing VO2 max testing, aerobic fitness, how to train, why we train, how your body consumes and uses oxygen, and much, much more. If you want to get in touch, you can shoot me an email at podcast at primal.ie. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at primalpro, P-R-Y-M-A-L-P-R-O. And you can check out the show notes for this episode over at www.primal.ie forward slash health matters. Let, let's just talk about that for a second because I'm, I'm your prime example here and a, a lot of people are exactly the same as me. Never, ever. Now I ran, no, it wasn't super competitive. I went like that. I ran cross country when I was in school. So I have, I have a bit of experience with distance running. I played Gaelic football, but hate, hate, hate going long distance running now because I have absolutely no idea how to pace and how I pace myself is, is it really, really, really hurting? Back it off a couple of percent and stay there for a while. I've no idea. If you looked at my my kilometre times now, they'd be up and down like a yo-yo. I've no idea. And like I said a few minutes ago, now I'm very, very aware that there's almost uh, not no point, but there's almost no point if I want to actually improve my times and my capacity and all that training that way, going out and intuitively guessing, is this the pace? So, Getting something like this might sound like oh, I'm not looking to run a marathon. Like, why would I get a strap? But for anybody who's in a position where they, they, they enjoy running and they want to actually improve. Now, some people don't. They just go and they run because it's a leisure activity for them. No problem. Absolutely yeah. no problem. This isn't a preaching session about you have to get a VO2 max test on or anything like that. Where help matters. <laughs> Where help matters, yeah. <laughs> but if you're interested in improving, which I am, and I know a lot of people are, if it's for your sport or for yourself, in improving, in let's call it your 5k time at the moment just is an easy one to look at 180 to 200 euro investment in yourself a decent pair of shoes is going to cost you that much as well it's it, it is going to be something that could help you achieve your goal and it's you're investing in your health you could easily spend 180 200 quid a weekend on drinks and, and takeaways man. and food yeah. and stuff like that and um, so I'm, I'm always trying to try because like your information is just phenomenal and it's so in-depth i'm always trying to help filter that to people who think it's not relevant to them because this is relevant to a huge amount of people not just elite athletes like a simple way to look at it is from a pacing perspective your polar app will tell you every kilometre what pace you're running and what your heart rate is and this is the big sell for people it's probably going to be easier for you well this is probably not going to struggle so much that point that you what you made there is so when I started running it was like okay if I go off too hard I can't do 5k yeah I, I, I'm the same so yeah. what is the obje- again asking yourself what's the objective of the run so mo- most times I'd say to someone if you're doing an aerobic run if the objective of the run is aerobic you're looking to do 40 minutes okay so this is a are we talking about 5k here let's forget distance, forget distance for okay. a minute okay, okay? we're just talking just, about the just for a minute alright okay, so yeah, yeah. if you wanted to go out so ask yourself why do you want to do 5k Okay, so what's the objective? What yeah. is that number? Why yeah, do you have that on a pedestal? Yeah. Because everyone wants to do 5K. Yeah. Everyone wants to do it Fair at a certain point. time. But if you don't care about your time to do a 5K, if you want to just complete 5K, you need to go out and do it comfortably. Walk 1K, jog 1K. All of a sudden, you're jogging 2K. You're jogging 3K. All of a sudden, you've come back and whoever's at home goes, you don't even look like you trained. Yeah, because I've done it aerobically. All my kilometers were 550s or 520s or whatever pace suits you. So you have to have your own why. Yeah. Why? What is the objective? The clarity on the objective is is more important, I think. So is this session going to be uncomfortable, anaerobic, or is it going to be comfortable aerobic? So apply it on a, a lower scale and a higher scale. If you're a good athlete that does decent running, I would ask you to do at least 40 minutes aerobic. 
Okay. That's realistic. So I say if it's greater than 40 minutes, so your long runs, aerobic. Your 10K is on the limit for a lot of people. Is it too fast? Is it too slow? Yeah. Your tempo sessions are between 1 to 40 minutes. So you go out and do kilometer repeats, a 5K effort. You should feel uncomfortable. That's the bottom line. Yeah. It is not the most enjoyable thing in the world, but you can do it. So it's building resistance to negatives associated with anaerobic pathways. But it's not about going out and feeling uncomfortable for 5K every time you do it and hoping that every time you do it, you're a couple of seconds No, faster. because remember, when you're doing a 5K, what you're going to do is you're going to be able to deal with the negatives. It's not going to get you a point where you have to stop. Yeah. If you're getting to a point 3K, 3.5K in, you're simply running too fast. Take 10 seconds off be more comfortable for you yeah, yeah. per kilometer how do you know it you have an earphone in your head that says Sean you just ran a 436 yeah, 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 perfect yeah. that's my pace 436 437 432 and then last kilometer you're like okay I want to get yeah. lower you take your pace up your paces are said to you in your ear it's based off your heart rate you know your threshold average heart rate's 160 again I'm just using that as an average because it's in my head for some reason yeah, 160 yeah, yeah. Uh, it's perfect so you're getting constant feedback feedback loop or you have a watch Glance at your watch. Yeah. What's your heart rate? What's your habit? And then, like anything else, pacing becomes a creation of habit, a creation of repetition. You know what it feels like to run a 436. Yeah. And then you're sub 25 minutes on a 5K. Yeah, All of a sudden, yeah. the aims keep going. Okay, now I need to average 410 to get myself sub 21, yeah. sub 22, whatever. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? You start to tune into it a bit more. So you start to pay attention to your numbers. Objectively, you understand what you're doing. So like last night, I had a, I had a tough session yesterday um, working with with some professional athletes. I physically took part in it, so I, 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 I can get away with that. What, 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 what's the sport? Mu Muay Thai. Oh, Muay Thai, okay. Yeah, yeah you know, so uh, with all restrictions and stuff on at the moment, we're allowed to train professionally with yeah. them. And I... I trained hard, like really hard. And this morning before coming out here, I was like, all I'm going to do today is probably an aerobic walk. Okay. So you have to listen to your body. Yeah. Because I know adaption isn't going to happen if I go and flog myself again. Or am I more susceptible to get injured now if I went and did another anaerobic session? So this is where listening to your body comes into play. Heart rate variability comes into play. Yeah. So measuring your heart rate in the morning is something I'll touch on in a second with you. So if I know, so today's going to be an aerobic session for me, recovery session, I'm going to go out of my way to have a higher consumption of water, eat more quality food and get better sleep today. And then I'll be ready for the next day. So using heart rate measurement or heart rate variability in the morning, it's getting into the habit of tracking your heart rate. So a lot of my athletes will send me their heart rates in the morning. Simple number, let's say your average heart rate's 50. 50, 50, 50, 51, 53. And on Friday... I get a message showing my heart rate's at 68. Like, whoa, what's on your plan? Right, you're due for a sparring session, an interval session. Yeah. Or you're due for double intervals or tempo and interval. I'm like, no, you're pulled. You're not doing any of that. You're going for a walk or you're going for a light aerobic cycle. You're getting more sleep. Tell me your heart rate in the morning. Okay. Bang, back down to 50. Really, yeah. Okay, and let's when, go. When you're telling that athlete that, how do they feel? Do they feel... <laughs> Good or are they, do they kind of? Some of them will say. Some of them. Some of them will say. No, I feel great. I feel great. I'm like, yeah. Well, most of my athletes now are, are, I'm working with long term, yeah. so they trust the process. Um, a lot of the athletes, their head coach has given me permission to do this. Okay, as okay. well. Yeah, you know, yeah. so Which is massively important in the context. Of so sports, we link yeah. in. So like, I have. I know my area. Like, I don't claim to know it all. As a run coach, as an example, I know, I'm not a run coach. I provide your data to a run coach. Okay. I provide your data to a cycling coach who 
uses science. So they will then go, okay, here's your numbers provided by Sean. Here's your aim, goals, and experience. Now let's build a plan. Yeah. When we work with MMA athletes or boxers, the head coaches will say, Sean is going to look after your conditioning. I'll liaise with them. I'll text the head coach and say, such and such, I disagree that they should perform X, Y, and Z. Fine. Yeah. Let's pull them off it. And it's not about chasing back that session either. That's something that people do. Oh, I was supposed to do two tempos last week. I didn't do it. So I'm going to do two tempos on a Sunday, interval tempo Monday. Doesn't work that way. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let the session go. It's one missed session is going to do nothing yeah. compared to recovery. Yeah. It's like when someone comes into me. So with the VO2 test, a two hour fast, no food, tea, coffee or any stimulants, two hours prior to testing, no exercise on the day. And if you're training the day before, take it easy or take it off. What? I can't train the day before. No. Oh, no, I'm, I'm going to train the day before, Sean. All right. It's going to scare Your numbers results. are going to... I, I can't miss out on an interval session. The benefit of coming into me fresh will far outweigh what that interval session is going to do. Yeah. The benefit of adapting, slowing down, listening to the body, listening to our measurements, understanding why we need to aerobic will far outweigh going out and chasing your mate who's 30 seconds faster than you per kilometer. Yeah. So listening and understanding and buying into the whole theory on less is more is just so so important and you shouldn't yeah. feel guilty on it give it six or eight weeks you'll be running faster you'll have less injuries you'll be more economical and your times from a sports performance endurance perspective will start to decrease yeah you know like if anyone's listening that wants to see any of the proof of this go on to my social media a lot of people will tag me in their runs PB, 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 where they were stuck in a rut for a year. All it is is application of science to specific personal personalised data. Yeah. And you can't argue with science. You, you literally <laughs> can't argue with it. No, no. I, me I remember seeing, was it one of the Pumping Iron uh, documentaries? Um, and again, I, I said to you before, I've always been big on this, the importance of recovery. And people mistake training smart for not training hard enough. Yeah. So, and there are some people, when you tell them you don't have to be in the red zone in every single session you're doing, and in fact, you shouldn't be in it, they take that and they go the other way with it and they're just doing, they don't do enough then. So it is about a balance. You still have to work really, really hard, but you have to ap apply the science like you've just said to understand, test or you're guessing. That's another phrase yeah, people use. Yeah, you, don't, you don't know what you're doing. Um, and I remember watching this documentary and it was I cannot remember, I don't think it was Phil Heath, but it was one of the, one of the new up and coming bodybuilders in the Arnie era had stopped just going and doing 10 hour sessions and flogging himself all the time. Now, don't get me wrong. You're bound to get some sort of adaptation, but it doesn't mean it's the best form of adaptation. Like if you're training 10 hours a day, something's going to happen. So I hope I hope. But what he started to do was he started to work with scientists and sports scientists and data analysts. And he started to understand the times when he was ripe and prepared for growth and for training and for strength training. And with the times when, and you said it there, he should just go for a walk and in the community, he was ridiculed. And I'm probably butchering the details of this, but it applies really well to everything else. He was ridiculed because oh, you're going for a walk. You should be doing another 10-hour training session, yeah. pal. And he said, no, my body's not ready for that. And he did really, really well. And I remember seeing that and thinking at the time, I play Gaelic football, thinking at the time, some of the training sessions or the training periods or like this traditional sports cycle you generally get with a field sport, pre-season, flogged and nuts off absolutely everybody the next nine months 
do nothing. Yeah. Pre-season, flog the nuts off everybody. Injuries. injuries, 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 low performance. You're looking at groups of people who you know have massive potential in their field and their sport. They're underperforming consistently. And you're like, why is this happening over and over and over again? And then you start, and in my case, it was I just started to apply very small principles of what you're talking about. Very small. As I said, I was allergic to testing. I didn't really test that much. But I started to recover a little bit more. And when my body wasn't feeling good, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to be lazy, but I won't go in and look for that PB on, on whatever the, the, the deadlift or whatever it might be. I won't go for that run. And I started to improve. And I was like, hold on a sec. I'm doing a little bit less and I'm getting better. But it's a cultural issue in Ireland anyway. You've, you've worked all over the world and you've experienced all over the world. But in Ireland, it's definitely an issue and a cultural issue with if you're not being flogged, you're not doing enough. You're not hardy enough. And there, there is an element, a very small element of you need mental toughness and discipline and an ability to push through discomfort to be successful at things. But realistically, if I'm a football player and you're a marathon runner and like we, we, I talk to people all the time who do incredible things like they run 200 miles and they row across the Atlantic. If you're doing that, yeah, you, you got you to gotta do something a little bit different. But it's still based in science. But if you're most of us, there is a formula for this and you need to buy in. You've, you've said buy in a couple of times there. That's what I feel is missing. An education and a buy in from people that I actually... It's very hard for me to believe you when you say I shouldn't run that hard today. I can actually take it a little bit easier and run at this pace. But when I when I buy in, what, what the changes and the adaptation you notice and the improvements you notice are incredible. And you're not killing yourself all the time. You probably enjoy it a little bit more. Everything starts to improve. You start to hit your PBs. It's it's magic, really, what starts to happen. It's the education post testing. Yeah. You know, like doing a test is grand. It's what's successful, what I think and the feedback for me, what makes my company successful is the deliverance of the data to educate the client. Yeah. So empowering them to understand what is going on and why it's not being successful, you know, and just making sure that they understand. And that you're right, though, the buy in is, is crucial. You can look at it from two phases. We need buy in on uncomfortable sessions yeah. and we need buy in on easy oh, sessions, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and one won't work. One won't work without the other. And for not one second am I saying everybody has to slow down. I believe that you have to do your intervals probably harder than you're doing them. You do your tempos well, but allow your body this adaption phase, which is aerobic based training. And not for one second should you feel guilty about this. Yeah. Not for one. You come back and you're not in a bundle and your body isn't aching and you're not sweating. I'm happy. Yeah. That's yeah. what I want to hear. I want a steady heart rate, comfortable throughout. Or one of the big things people do is the first kilometre, boom, they're gone. <laughs> you know hour, what yeah. I mean? And then they're like, oh, I can never get through anything, you yeah. know. Um, Aoife Cook, who I happily or delighted to say that I know well from working with her. Aoife Cook's the Dublin Marathon current record or yeah. uh, winner. She talked great about this whole theory. And when, when I interviewed her recently on my Instagram, she said a marathon is a 20 mile warm up with a 10k race yeah like if you think about that theory that for 20 miles you're just trucking along and then last 6 miles or 10k whatever you want to phrase it in you're gone so your negative splits should be that way like you should run a marathon your second half should be faster than your first half yeah you know you're gone out you're aerobic keep bringing it back you're aerobic your fueling system is endless you're not going to run out of that energy you know, and we'll, we'll come on to the energy source in a second. One thing I wanted to bring back, though, when you were talking there, I recently listened to uh, your interview with Robbie Bennett on kind of insulin, oh, hormonal good. response, cortisol. And one of the things as well that a lot, this could resonate with a lot of people, people that are struggling to lose weight, uh, high stressful job, go in, do high stressful training. 
anaerobic, 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 anaerobic. Cortisol, 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 cortisol. Can't sleep, irregular cravings. Fueling point of that system as well is carbohydrate. So bring it back. Look at your bodybuilders. How they do an hour walking. Why do they do an hour walking? Because you burn calories directly from stored fat. You speak to a lot of bodybuilders. I interviewed Tommy Staunton recently. And he was like, an hour of cardio a day is crucial. Just walking. Walk your dog. Walk on a treadmill. Why is it doing that? Because you're shredding, you're utilising body fat at that point. So a lot of times people, when they're looking to train for weight loss, flog themselves, hormonally mess themselves up, deplete their carbohydrate stores. All they want then is replenishment of carbohydrate, can't sleep, go back into work, repeat the process and go nowhere. Yeah. Now we know and Owen and Robbie would have always spoke about it in the ISI about, and Larry Doyle as well recently yeah, I interviewed yeah. regards to the three S's, stress, sleep and shitting. Unless you have the three of them under control, weight is going to be very, very difficult to manage. And the more I get to work in the industry, if it's, Digestion's not right or stress is not right. So stress can be produced from a training perspective as well. So if there's too much stress in the body because you're always anaerobic, it's going to limit adaption. It's going to limit success. So there's so many benefits to understanding. it. Now, it's great. A lot of gyms have, have you heard of MyZone? Have you seen MyZone? Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. a lot of West Park is one of the country leaders in this where I'm, so Health Matters is based in West Park Fitness. All in, everyone that joins up West Park gets a heart rate monitor. And all around everyone the, who joins the gym gets a yeah, monitor. Yeah, Deadly. and all around the gym, there's big 50, 60 inch screens with everyone's heart rate on it, and they're classified blue, green, yellow, or red. You know, so all their training intensities are measured. When they're teaching spin classes, they can go, all right, everyone into the red, because that's what spinning should be at certain points. Everyone stay in yellow. We're doing an FPT. We need you in yellow for twenty minutes. Yeah, you know, like so, it's endless in terms of the benefit on it. So it can work for. Everyone heart rate training. Application is really important though. Like uh, this data is great. I have seen, uh, it's not my zone, but I've seen uh, gyms and classes and stuff before done with the zones, but it's the same concept. Stay, everyone needs to be in the red. Everyone needs to be in the red. And everyone's looking at each other saying, He's, I need to be in the red. And it's just an, an hour of the red. Which yeah. we've, we've just spent an hour talking about it. Yeah. That's not the right way to do it. But I've seen it done that way as well. And I'm not sure how it's done in my zone. I haven't done, I haven't done. My zone would be, again, it would be using generics. Now, one of the big advantages members of Westpark have is that I'm there. You're there, yeah. So <laughs> we, we can change their data based on it. Okay. You know, so like what theoretically is. So a lot of times, again, using generics, you, you what would be red could be actually green for you. Yeah. You know, so yeah, 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 understanding yeah. and getting used to that. The individuality system, of it. Individuality is, is really, really, really important. Yeah, yeah. I make no qualms about the fact that I'm really selfish on, on this podcast and I'm, I'm looking for certain things for myself as well. And I'm going to bring you back just to a second because you've talked very, very well about splits for running and marathons and achieving that kind of goal. What about a field-based sport like Gaelic football? Because this is just something I've been involved in for all my, all my life and I've seen it done well in a small percentage of cases and I've seen it done wrong even now at a super elite level I, I see it done wrong in terms of training for the specific thing that you're trying to do and in a field-based sport is usually stop-start you need a good balance of aerobic and anaerobic you need the skill bases biomechanical issues and all that kind of stuff but for in your from your kind of field VO2 aerobic capacity anaerobic capacity how how would you apply that to something like a field sport because the reason I ask is just what we've talked about most teams I see, it's just about go flog, 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 flog. There is no real split between aerobic flog, and flog, aerobic. Flog, 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 injured. And, and yeah, injured. <laughs> and nobody improves their anaerobic because 
you can never really fully apply that pe- the, the power and speed development because you're asked to do it for five minutes or 20 minutes mm. or, or we're going out for this run, we're going to run 10 laps and we're going to do it at this pace, we're going to do suicides, and we're going to do it at this pace. Th- these are all the, the familiar phrases that people hear and if someone's standing roaring at you. That brings me back to basketball. Oh, st- yeah, but it's most team sports are like yeah. this. I'm only asking from GAA because that's my background. Um, h- how could you just give me a breakdown on how it should be done in that context? For, okay, so we're not looking to run 5K or 20K or whatever. In a group setting, it's difficult. So that's, Very difficult. that's the first point you have to think. And yeah. this is where personal responsibility comes in. Okay. Okay, so you have a coach, and I work with lots of them that are in field sports. They have an hour yeah. with a squad of 30 players. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're not going to go alright lads let's go for a jog <laughs> yeah, yeah, the yeah. manager's going to be looking at him going you're getting the bullet so you as a player has to take personal responsibility you can allow your coaching sessions with your conditioning coach to do your anaerobic but we need to make sure you do some aerobic um, look at a field sport it is predominantly an anaerobic sport realistically depending on your position Yeah. so you have to apply that so you need to start to go okay well do I need to get myself used to dealing with the negatives of anaerobic? So do I need to start to do more tempos? So I'll go out and do two kilometre repeats. I'm going to get 2K done in eight minutes. So I know if I have to be put under pressure for eight minutes, I'm going to be able to deal with it. Or if I need to know what it feels like to be up, down, up, down, up, down the pitch five times, start to do that. Yeah. You know, it's very straightforward when you break down a sport. What is the application of physiology? Yeah. So what is the system getting used? You need to biomechanically learn to turn quicker. Okay, you need to look at your breathing patterns. You need to look at what you're going to do when you recover. Do you put your hands on your head? Do you put them on your hips? How much of a downtime are you going to get? Are you a corner forward where there's going to be a bit more recovery? Are you a midfielder? Are you the goalkeeper? You know, so again, it's personalized individuality that will bring success. The stimulus on intervals and tempos that are done in training and as you mentioned, like field runs and field sprints and line-to-line sprints, that's all well and good, but it has to be relevant to your position, to your sport, and you do then take responsibility externally. GA, as we know, semi-professional, if even amateur. Yeah. But the level of what you're expected to achieve is, is elite. Is elite. Yeah. So you might get two days with your club. What are you going to do for the other part of it? You go, okay, what I want to do is I want to start to do kilometer repeats, 3K efforts, 5K effort. So you're building the engine to resist fatigue. You're then going to do, okay, I'm going to do some S&C. Am I going to get some aerobic training done as well? So, yeah, we need aerobic to adapt, you know. So it, it's a very, very fine balance to get it right. Yeah. Unfortunately, I probably don't have the exact answer what you're looking for. No, that is, it's, it's, you, need, you need to understand everything you've just said and then apply that in whatever your team or your position is. So it makes perfect sense. Yeah. There isn't a real exact answer. This is what you need, should no, do. No, exactly. I think personal responsibility takes yeah. a big role and not just say, I'm not getting fitter, my conditioning coach is shy. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's not really going to work like that. You yeah. have to take, and like, look at the best athletes in the world. You go back through their life and you see the dedication that they put in to a certain attribute or a certain part of their performance. You know, so if you really want to get it, you need to start to apply science to performance yeah so we we can do our shuttle runs we can do all of that let's integrate so if the days that you're you can train can you do some bike work can you do some biomechanical work can you do some flexibility is it mean just kind of go to bed earlier you know get off your phone twitter isn't going to change from nine o'clock to ten o'clock at night even though you've checked it 50 times you know like applying theory to your individual sport now i'm a firm believer as well that it's not just all about aerobic growth apply it to strength 
and one of the string you're going to think of is cycling. And this is a really nice one, or rowing. So FTP at the moment, functional threshold power, is massively, everybody talks about it. Everybody wants watts, everybody wants this. In the context of cycling and rowing or just in general? Cycling and rowing, yeah. right? So this is where we identify threshold in power and in heart rate. So then if you adapt an S&C plan for eight weeks, you produce more power for the same heart rate. Okay. So yeah, 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 let's yeah. use, and this would be a common threshold, an anaerobic threshold would be about 200 to 230 watts. Okay. When you say threshold, sorry, just to clarify, is this the, the, your optimal sorry, operational value? Sorry, I never even spoke about this. No, that's okay. So we have numerous different thresholds. Aerobic threshold is where we use mixture. We go from fat utilization to fat and carbohydrates. So there's aerobic glycolysis. Okay. Then anaerobic threshold, which is AT, we go from an aerobic to an anaerobic state where we're using carbohydrate as our fuel. Okay. People will talk about lactate threshold. Lactate threshold is where we take blood. Once you exceed four millimoles of lactate, which is the measurement of lactate that's in the blood, you are identified as being anaerobic. The system that we use is the bicarbonate buffer that's used internally or the body creates to deal with and dilute the acidity is going to coincide with a high production of CO2 and okay. we're going to be able to identify threshold. So threshold is the changeover point from oxygen utilization as prime fuel to carbohydrate, futili uh, carbohydrate utilization. So essentially if you want to be working anaerobically your threshold is has to grow. Okay, that has to grow because if you go over that, you're not anaerobic anymore. So you have to increase. No, no, you're not aerobic. So anymore. you're not aerobic yeah. anymore. Yeah, yeah. So you have to increase that yeah. threshold. So my objective is to grow, or people's objective should be to grow anaerobic threshold. I get you. I get you. That's the objective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't know how we didn't touch on that. Yeah, we came around a long <laughs> way. So the the purpose of aerobic training is to the purpose of aerobic training is to allow adaption to occur to grow anaerobic threshold. I get you. So okay. then there's aerobic growth. Yeah. There's aerobic capacity growth. So we get threshold breakdown or we get 230 watts at threshold. You come, you go away, you get a good S&C plan, you come back, you produce 260 watts for the same heart rate. So you're aerobic, but going 30 watts faster. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. S&C plays a big role, as you know in your background, as does biomechanics. Yeah. As like There's lots in, at play here. So a cyclist or a triathlete one of the big things I'd say to do is work on S&C in your off-season to create more power. This is actually an interesting conversation. I only had this the other day with a long-distance runner. Now, I don't proclaim to be any sort of an expert in running, but there is a, a significant conversation now, and I don't know if it's directly linked to what you just said, between strength training and aerobic performance. So, like, traditionally, now, not on an elite level, but most people who train aerobically, they want to run or cycle or swim or whatever it is, they're almost allergic to straight training. Now, there's multiple benefits from an injury prevention point of view and all that kind of stuff as well. But in terms of improving aerobic performance, there's a lot of people talking about now how important having a strength, and I suppose, and conditioning, but a strength phase or strength element to your training if you want to be an aerobic athlete. Invaluable. Yeah. Um, from a biomechanical perspective, from a core perspective, yeah. you know, like it, it's endless. Well, most people think, I'm going to put on all this muscle, I'm going to be heavier, I'm going to slow down, I'm not going to be able to get it, but it's actually not the case. It, it's very hard to put on muscle. Good luck with that one. Yeah. You know, um, get, getting it right though, working with some good coaches. Yeah. Um, we unfortunately ran a competition. There's a couple of guys in West Park that run a company called New Life Coaching and they're both have bachelor degrees in S&C from Satanta. And I wanted to run a competition where we get two athletes, male and a female, VO2 test them, 
and then they apply a strength and conditioning program specifically built to increase power in the lower body and retest. Cool. Oh, that's cool. Now COVID happened, we oh, shut we yeah. shut down, so we haven't been able to do it. Okay. We will do That'd it be though. Really interesting. Really interesting in growth of power production. Yeah. So SNC plays an invaluable role, but even in how you hold yourself in the last six miles of a marathon. Yeah. Is your posture your gone? Posture, What's yeah. your core done? Is your glutes too weak so your hip is knocked and then you get a knee injury? Yeah. You know, like the it's just, it's endless. Yeah, it's you like know? if the tracking in your car is off as well, it can be much less efficient. You can yeah. wonder why you're burning through fuel. Yeah. Your tires yeah. are wear down. Absolutely, you know. Yeah. The um, fueling perspective, again, well, I'll cover that in a couple of seconds with you or a couple of minutes with you. But yeah, the, the threshold identification is, is absolutely key and understanding the sport that you're in, what's the demand, how long do you have to perform for, what your position is, who are you playing, is the intensity going to be harder? Like, I, I'm a Villa fan for, for my troubles, right? Yeah. Um, very confident and happy with this <laughs> year so far. Um, and when we were playing Arsenal the other night, like, I watched it and the first thing that stood out to me was the intensity and the high press for the whole team. Yeah. And I, afterwards I said, they are going to be knackered after this, you know? Because obviously sitting off an opponent. So is it opponent related? Do you have to have a specific high press for it? So overall, you're going to need to have the ability to run at a good pace for longer. What allows you to do that is having a higher aerobic capacity. So this is where it comes back to me saying that anything greater than 400 meters will benefit from having, I recently had, I wouldn't say in any way, shape or form it was an argument. I, I know him really well, John Mackey, okay, really, really yeah, good yeah. sports scientist. And we had yeah. a bit of a conversation on Instagram where he was saying... Healthy debate is what we call that. A healthy debate, yeah. About um, his point that if your sport is anaerobic, you should stimulate that. So if your sport is point scoring, the explosiveness of back and forth. John has a very decorative background as kickboxing coaches. He's okay. in canoeing Ireland and stuff now. And he was like, well, they should do a lot more anaerobic training. But my point was, well, he sh they should integrate some aerobic training in order to allow for adaption to occur, but in order to have that engine built bigger. Yeah. So they break down later. Yeah. So if I break down at a higher pace than you break down, I'm going to be able to perform longer for better. Stepping off my stool or walking in off the octagon, I've recovered better than you have. Yes, I'm going to go anaerobic. Yes, I have to know what that feels like. But that aerobic adaption phase for all sports, I'll argue with it all day long, is absolutely vital. Was this the conversation around McGregor and his 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 engine, I suppose, his ability to last to the later rounds? Like the guy has massive power development. I'm not an expert in MMA either. Massive power development, excellent technique. He's a fantastic boxer. He's got all the tools you need to be a great uh, fighter, I suppose, mm. in MMA. But the aerobic capacity was something that let him down. So he wasn't able to apply that power that he has and that engine that he has in the later rounds. Five rounds, five fives, five, 25 five, minute yeah. rounds, you know. So he had the tools like like you have, a, you could have a great 10K. But if that 10K is at the end of a marathon, like you said, it may as well be nothing because you can't use it. You can't deploy it. So is that what you're alluding today with gro growing that aerobic threshold because it allows you to utilize your... <laughs> like you could argue... <laughs> I don't know yeah. is the answer you know like the benefit in growing aerobic capacity will delay the onset of negatives associated with anaerobic okay yeah 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 that's yeah. the easiest way to say that it that does answer the question actually yeah okay so if we can delay the negatives by increasing aerobic capacity they won't occur as early yeah however MMA is an explosive sport. Yeah, yeah. You're going to do very very well not to be anaerobic yeah. early but then again it's recovery how big your threshold is if we're 
fluting around. We have an exchange. Then we're kind of stepping off, feeling each other out in terms of, or I have your back, you have my back, just stage in the recovery. If I can get back aerobic quicker than you can, it's going to be beneficial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. as I said, very hard to do under the fella trying to kill you. Absolutely. <laughs> Never mind adrenaline. You hold on for another three rounds there. Right? I just want to work <laughs> yeah, out this aerobic capacity. I just got to recover, you know. <laughs> and then we'll go but look, MMA is, MMA is, is brutal. It like is a it's a, Unfortunately, last night I had a fighter of mine, Pedro, who was going for a title in Bellator. Um, and he is probably the fittest athlete I've worked with. And he got knocked down round one. Oh, that's the fucking thing got caught. Fighting, isn't it? But we knew Pedro would be able to pressurise someone for 10 rounds. Yeah. At full intensity. Yeah. But that's the nature of the beast. Context for for MMA and fighting is so important. I'm not a fighter. Mm. But I over the course of maybe four or five years, I tried various different styles. I tried my time. It's brutal. Mm. Re- really, really hard to do. I tried kickboxing. Um, and it was absolutely eye-opening for me. I would have regarded myself at that time anyway as being in particularly good condition. I was very fit and quite strong, good all-round base. I was playing football now, but uh, I was absolutely gassed after two or three minutes. It was so different. It was incredible. I felt like a child again. I don't know know how to do this. I thought I was confident in my physical abilities, and it was absolutely insane. And what it did for me was I used to watch MMA and say, how did he get clipped? How was he he tapping out to that? Like 20 seconds. 20 seconds practicing any form of martial art like that where it's just on all the time and you could get clipped or you could get punched you could get taken down you have to try and reverse an arm but you're trying to defend all this kind of stuff it's constant on 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 you appreciate looking at these guys like five five minute rounds sounds like absolute hell I would uh, with context of having tried it I would agree true experience yeah. um, obviously my sports background would be Muay Thai yeah. where I could train three, four, five times a week you yeah. know what I mean build up this unbelievable fitness and then through whatever this is only recently I had an injury in my rotator cuff I was probably hadn't Muay Thai trained in six, seven months and I went back hitting pads and I'd, over that time, I took up running. I was running three thirty-six minute kilometers, you know, yeah. and then I have to hit pads for three minutes, not yeah. five minutes. It's a different beast. The only other sport I would say is the same is swimming. Yeah. Now, it's probably a negative of mine because I come from a swimming background. I don't just get into the pool and do a length at a night leisurely pace. That's the plan. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. I end up doing butterfly within 10 lengths and it, yeah. my lats feel like they're about to explode. <laughs> and like, it is, it's a, it's a different beast. Like even yesterday, the, the, the guys we were training with had commented there, it's like, look, you're, you're, you're looking really fit. And I was like, I don't feel fit from a Muay Thai perspective, but I feel really fit from a running perspective yeah. or from a field sport, per- not field sport. I do a lot of like Olympic lifting. I'd feel absolutely perfect with that. You know, but it's a different animal because you need your head turned on for the combination, the movement, the biomechanics, the balance, the guard. Muay Thai is the art of eight limbs. It could be elbow, punch, knee, kick, anything. You know what I mean? Combination, combination, intensity, intensity. It depends on your pad man. Yeah. I'm getting drilled by this really hard pad man. I'm thinking two and a half minutes in, I was like, how am I going to finish this round? He then starts to do five minute rounds. Come oh, on, you know, you're like, oh, come on, pal. Yeah, you know, yeah. but then that's an anaerobic adaption. That's an anaerobic resistance I have to build. So what's going to build yeah. that resistance for me is anaerobic training, replicating uncomfortable physical training for five minutes. So I need to put myself under pressure to deal with that repetitively. Yeah. Not just once all the time yeah. over and over and over and over again and I know I'll be back so 
I didn't train for probably about three weeks. Probably only doing two sessions a week at the moment, Muay Thai. Um, and then over the last, like I've done maybe two or three sessions in the last 10 days. And I, I, f I feel pretty poor. Yeah. You know, I'm like, yeah. I should not feel like this. But that's knowing what level I should be at. Yeah. Well, one of my attributes would be the strength to continue to perform at a high level. Like my fitness would be, of, it should be, I suppose. <laughs> I'd be, be disappointed if uh, it wasn't now. Of an attribute. Yeah. The later I go into rounds, the better I become. Okay. Or the worse that the opponent or the padman, everything. Like the padman say, like they're getting workouts when they're training with me even in the latter rounds because they'll just keep calling and I'll just keep hitting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's 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 time. That's years of training anaerobically, but also saying, I need a day off. I need two days off. I'm going to go for a nice, easy 40-minute cycle and my heart rate's not going to get over 120. Yeah, yeah. And and training for the specific yeah, uh. the specific task. It's funny you mentioned swimming there. Like, I always tell this funny swimming story. I, I did a bit of swimming when I was a kid. Like, I'd had swimming lessons, so I can not drown is the way I put it. I can get into the water and not drown. I can't really swim very well. And when we were in college um, in, in DCU, one of the modules was, was aqua aerobics. And as a bit of fun, we did a relay, a swimming relay. And again, at that time, I was in fairly good condition. I was competing in cross country. I was playing Gaelic football. I was doing all my VO2 max tests. I was scoring pretty well. Um, I was in generally good nick, really confident in my ability. Here we go, a physical a physical competition. We lined up and the, the first three in the water were me and two females, two girls. Not like female athletes are phenomenal. I'm not yeah, being absolutely. sexist here. But it's like, I'm in, I'm in I great. Have this I'm in the feeling bag. great here. And I dived in and I swear to God, I hadn't even gone a length and I thought I was going to drown because I'm not a swimmer. I know, no, I just thought I'm going to be able to apply all my physical attribute to this swimming thing now the two girls were finished the next swimmers were in the water and I was still limping my way back I think it took me three swimmers to do my one length mm. up and back and I was gassed absolutely gassed and that taught me a really really good lesson about just because you can run around a gap pitch or you can do your 12k cross country or whatever it is I was doing at the time doesn't really necessarily apply to something else so you've got to be really specific about what you're applying this to and that kind of taught me if I'm training for this Everything needs to be geared towards this. I can't just go out and do a bit of everything. Now, it will give you a general a general base of fitness, but that's what you're going to stay at forever unless you be a little bit more specific yeah, with it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so for swimming, there's no point going running 20K if you want to be a swimmer. <laughs> no. It'll help a little bit, yeah, yeah. but you, you can be much, 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 much more specific with it. Yeah. One of the other things that you need to look at as well is, and it will tie it in nicely, so within our test, we will measure calorie expenditure during exercise. So it's done through what's called indirect kilometry. Okay. So we know that 0.8 of a milliliter of oxygen is needed to burn one calorie. So we then start to look at this from a fueling performance perspective. Brilliant. Okay. So how many calories you get rid of in an hour? Where is it coming from? Is it from fat? Is it from carbohydrate? And then let's make a fueling plan. So probably 90% of people that come in have no fueling plan. Yeah. Like, what are you going to eat for the marathon? I do Gels? Yeah, I'm like, yeah. no, okay. So if you apply the science to energy, so when we're aerobic, we're using fat. When we're anaerobic, we're using carbohydrate. So if, again, we then look at all your expenditure, so calorie expenditure during exercise is relatively low, realistically. Yeah, you okay. gave me some figures on yeah. this. Which was shocking. Like enough. you're never really going to have anyone perform aerobically and get rid of more than, 900 calories in yeah. an hour, aerobically. Anaerobically, the high end of anaerobic expenditure, I've seen like 1,500 calories an hour, but they're never going to be able to hold that. Yeah, you can't perform at that level no, for an hour. No, you yeah. wouldn't be able to. And remember then that that expenditure is going to be a lot of carbohydrate, 
there's going to be aerobic and anaerobic. So there's going to be aerobic glycolysis, which is a bit of fat, a bit of carbohydrate. So within our test, we can work out specifically what energy system is getting used at what heart rate. So then the application of the likes of carb loading comes in. So we know we're doing tempo, we're doing interval, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. So we need to start to apply the theory on, okay, I'm going to have more carbohydrate today because I'm doing two anaerobic sessions tomorrow. Or I'm going for my log run. So people are like, oh, I had a pizza the night before my long run. I'm like, uh, why? They're like, oh, I wanted a carb load. I'm like, but you're f using fat as your main fueling source. Yeah. So depending on intensity, we'll re then rely on the... Um, application of specific food groups. Okay, yeah. Marathon runners, I would say, generally, you wouldn't necessarily need anything for the first hour. And then every hour, you're taking a third of the calories that you're expelling back on. Okay. So easy numbers, 1,200 out, 400 back yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You look at people, they go, I had a jail. 120 calories. Yeah. Like, okay, so now let's start to put food as an attribute. As much as sleep, S and C, hydration. Dehydration, what happens? Your heart, your muscles contract and expand at a lower rate. Your heart's a muscle. You're dehydrated, you turn anaerobic earlier because the heart is no longer delivering the oxygen to the yeah, working muscles at the yeah, rate it should. Yeah. So hydration's really important, as we know. Hormonal balance. So are you just whacking 50 grams of sugar into every hour? What's going to happen then? GI tract's going to obviously yeah. get messed up, but that insulin cortisol insulin balance, issues, the yeah. cravings, you know, are going to be there. I would be a big fan of real food. Um, the likes of, it depends on what people can eat. So could you add a fat in? Could you add a protein in to slow absorption rate down? This is long distance, you yeah, know, yeah. like homemade flapjacks. Can you eat? Yeah. Are you just whacking gels into you? Are you taking something you've never taken before? You know, like things like people rock up marathon and whack a load of high five into them and end up in every portaloo that they see. Yeah. You know, so it's about fueling the systems. I, I recently interviewed. So when I say interview people, I do it on Q&A on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Every Thursday. And I interviewed Amy Maguire, who's a sports nutritionist for field sports athletes. And she says 36 for six. So for 36 hours, the six meals you eat 36 hours prior to your game, field sport game, yeah must contain decent amounts of carbohydrate. Yeah, yeah. Okay? So you're getting your system primed. There's obviously overload as well, maximum storage capacity. Over time, the p opinion has changed. You're not just going to turn all carbs into fats unless you're in a calorie <laughs> surplus <laughs> yeah. and things like that. But it's about getting the balance right. Look at it from a negative perspective. You go out to do an anaerobic session. You're doing a turbo session. You're doing interval repeats. And you're on this low carbohydrate or as people like to do ketogenic diets at the moment. Yeah but you don't have the energy to do them. Why don't you have the energy? Because you don't have the carbohydrate. Yeah. Or ketogenic diets for field sports athletes or boxers or MMA athletes where the glucose fueling the brain is not there. So your decision-making is poor. Massively important point, yeah. You know, like your shot choice, your hand pass, your hand-eye coordination, you know, your, your ability to perform. The brain is going to require a lot of glucose. So are you finding that performance is getting affected because you're not putting any emphasis on your nutrition. Yeah. You know, and how much nutrition to go yeah, in. Yeah, so yeah. 
You know, like it's just, again, you're going to get that from this one test. Yeah, that's a, it's a nuts, really, the amount of information. I'm delighted you mentioned carb loading there. I, I mentioned this briefly, but I can't remember the exact podcast we were talking about. And I feel like I did a bit of a disservice because at the time, I think we dismissed carb loading not as a fad. The point I was trying to make, and you've just clarified it beautifully there, is it depends. Carb loading is something people do and they tend to say, I'm doing a marathon, I'm going to carb load. And they don't understand the energy systems they're going to be using. They understand the type, why they're doing it, the type of food to eat, how to how to actually lead into. Or it. even like the food that you have on the day of your race is probably, or the day of a match is going to have little impact. Yeah, realistically, realistically little impact. But yeah. everyone wants to know what's the meal you should eat last before. Well, that's the meal that you're going to be finding out about tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's irrelevant. Now, it will have a role, but we need to make sure our systems are primed up, up, up to that point, you know, yeah. that we're, we're fueling right. And I'm a massive, that's why I've studied nutrition. Like, there's just the power of it is just phenomenal. Yeah. From a B vitamin perspective to create energy. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, do you have yeah, enough yeah. B vitamins in your body to create energy? Yeah, yeah. You know, like what? So B vitamins are going to be used in the process of creating energy. Yeah. Have you taken enough B1, B5 in? You know, where are you going to get it? What's your food? Bring it back to simple. Look at it in a different way. Do you have enough carbohydrate to perform anaerobically? Again, yesterday, I went out of my way. I had porridge. I had rice. I had fruit. I had smoothie. All before I trained. Yeah. Where normally I wouldn't, I wouldn't be a massive carb eater. Not that I'm not, and that's probably wrong to me to say I would have carbs every morning. Yeah. But I mightn't have carbs every lunch. I could have more kind of salad and veg with protein. And then I'd have carb in the evening or whatever. So depending on the way and the intensity that I'm training, I will alter my food. Yeah. And then the benefit on that is that you'll get a better boost in performance on the days of anaerobic requirement, i.e. carbohydrate. So I mentioned probably carbohydrate, glycogen and um Glucose, they're all the same thing. Yeah. So carbohydrate broken down into glucose, stored as glycogen in our muscles and our, our liver. We store 500 grams of it and it runs out. Yeah. Okay. And it gets burned rapidly when we're anaerobic or where there's aerobic glycolysis. So there will be some carbohydrate depletion when we're aerobic. So that's where the benefits of gels and stuff will come in. Okay. But you have cyclists, and this is someone that told me, they were taking, what did he say? He was taking two high five sachets an hour. An hour. 50 grams of sugar in a sachet. Oh, Jesus Christ. And I was like, how did you feel? He was like, oh, it's in bits. Brutal. You know, and I was like, and then this fellow was carrying a bit of weight as well. Or your traditional triathlete, and I know people that are listening to me now will laugh at this, that stop on their cycle for a scone with cream. <laughs> or their Garmin told them they got rid of 1,200 calories so they go and have a McDonald's. Yeah. You know, you're not entitled to replenish everything you got rid of. Like, you have to look at the balance here. Like, if you're looking to drop weight, it's not, oh, I got rid of 1,200, I need to eat 1,200. It's about deficit creation. Yeah. You know? But also, and I'm going to clarify an important point here as well, because there's a whole other side of Sean Canan here as well, <laughs> which is nutritional therapy. And we, we're going to do a separate and podcast. And metabolic. And, me, and metabolic, yeah. yeah. And we are going to do a separate podcast. But just because this is relevant to the performance side of things that we're talking about now as well, we'll, we'll discuss this too. There, there is a misunderstanding among people as well if they're training and if they're doing all these wonderful things and they're running marathons and all that kind of stuff that they can kind of eat what they want eat what they want and not eat what they want and they can create the calorie surplus or deficit whatever way they want but they just because they're training they think I am healthy therefore the fuel is just fuel it doesn't matter but they forget the whole micronutrient conversation when you're eating more or less what's in that more or less like a calorie is a calorie but a calorie is not just a calorie as well so there's mm. two ways of looking at this but even look at it from like a 
magnesium, sodium perspective. Like Absolutely. sodium, I was, before I studied nutrition, I was like, I'm not eating salt. Yeah. Now I'm like, give me that Himalayan salt, like a good rock salt Yeah. to help with energy deliverance. Help with energy deliverance. It's so important for muscle function. Yeah. If you just want to look at it from an athletic point of view, yeah. you cannot, your muscles cannot function without an adequate balance of electrolytes and yeah. salts in the system. It just doesn't work. Um, but or a lot of people would go, oh, I just need salt, I need salt, I need salt. But what about magnesium and potassium? Yeah, you the, know, and the balances of the different salts. So using the likes of an Epsom bath or an Epsom foot soak post long run. Yeah. So as I say to people, you go out for a four, run, four hour run, then say to your partner, I'm just going for a bath. It probably won't go down <laughs> too well. So use a, a foot soak. The body will absorb magnesium really well through the feet, yeah. you know, which is going to help with recovery, muscle uh, recovery, you know, things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, the nutrition side of things is just, it's just dropped. It's, it's not thought of really um from yeah. a performance perspective you know yeah yeah and i think and this is one thing that i've i've considered for a long long time looking at different elite athletes to be very very good at a specific task like an elite long distance runner or a an elite bodybuilder or an elite whatever to get to take your body to the pinnacle of that performance actually has a really negative impact on your body because we're designed to do all these we're, we're designed to move and to be physical and active but to push yourself to those kind of limits can be very negative so you have to compensate by being very 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 aware of all the recovery factors we spoke about and minding your body and your system and your physiology and that is understanding your nu nu your nutrition to a micro level not just what is going to fuel this particular event but or even looking at it from a recovery perspective with anti-inflammatory foods anti-inflammatory foods watching your insulin your cortisol yeah. issues like people would look in general at a, an elite elite endurance runner and say my god he's so healthy in reality a lot of people who don't really understand what they're doing can push themselves and it's amazing what they do from a, a, a mental strength and fortitude point of view I can run hundreds and hundreds of miles or I can get my body to this physical shape but the chances are, and I'm going to go out on a limb here and say a high percentage of those people are not healthy and they're not looking after their longevity as well. And that's where you need to understand this is this is I, I almost compared to almost being pregnant is a massive drain on resources in your body. I think the stats are it takes three to five years for a female to recover physiologically from having a child. And that's not physically from the mm. actual childbirth. But from the drain of resources on your body needed to, to create a human being. And it's the same with elite performance or most levels of performance. It's a drain of resources on your body. So you need to be aware of that. You can even look at it from a perspective with female athletes that lose their period. Amenorrhea. It's, yeah. it's crazy. It's, it's crazy. And, women and you know what's even more crazy about it is I had a client recently and she hadn't had a period in two years. And not once was it listed as a concern for her in her screening forms. And I was like, hang on. She came to me in nutritional therapy with some digestive issues or whatever. And I was like, so I do up all my recommendations prior to seeing her and, yeah. and then speaking to her. And I was like, what, what's the menstrual cycle? Like, oh, no, I haven't had it in two. And I was like, what? She just thought it was not. She didn't just it was just completely normal. And then you look at it and apply that to an athlete, a female athlete. It happens so much more regularly. So you can see the damage that that can do to somebody. Oh, it's, it's, it's actually it's frightening sometimes when you think about it. like females are a great example because there's a. I call it a much more delicate balance yeah, that has to be maintained and observed with the female endocrine system and everything like that. But it's the same for men as well. It's particularly now, like the, the clinic I worked in, big on testosterone and understanding the effects of testosterone on all the different aspects of your life, mm -hmm. not just fat loss and muscle building, but on everything from, from cardiac health to, to psychological performance to brain uh, degeneration. Like your, your hormone and endocrine system, which is linked to everything we've talked today mm -hmm. to, to about today, 
understanding the effect of training, like even like pe people might be listening to this now saying they're not talking about me. They're talking about elite athletes. Weight loss, massively important. Males or females losing weight can be very, very dangerous for many reasons. Obviously, you can have the release toxins with massive weight loss and all that. But from a hormonal point of view, from a micronutrient point of view, if you start losing weight, your body is ch literally changing. Your physiology is changing. And if you, if you just cut out calories and increase your exercise, number one, you, you alluded to this earlier, you're adding stress on top of stress. That's mm. the first problem you see. And number two, you're going to be massively deficient. You're going to be leaching essential nutrients from places that you can't afford to be leaching them from and you're not going to be healthy but the societal thing is you're losing weight you're going to be healthy so it's really nuanced and why it's so important to have these conversations I think that's like it. when you understand nutritional therapy and I said we'll go into that on the next one it's looking at the, the system in such more of a a deep understanding of human function or anatomy yeah. function like that you're saying you've dropped weight but where have you pulled these essential nutrients from because you haven't eaten yeah. X, Y and Z and looking at just a million and one things but the power of nutrition from performance is phenomenal like everybody probably just thinks oh I'm going to take protein you know, like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. okay, so how's that protein going to get there? Yeah. You know, is there a deliverance uh, system? Is there carbohydrates coming in to help with it? You know, yeah. what's your fats like? Where's the balance? What's the the minerals like? You know, yeah. like, it, again, like you put the point you said there is people listening to this mightn't be professional athletes, but you, you, whoever you are listening to me, will benefit from increasing the quality of your nutrition yeah. in Fact. performance. You know, or in everyday life, yeah. you know, M mood, general mood and well-being. Just Absolutely. paying a bit of attention to it. You know, one of the things I did want to speak to you about before if we wrap it up. Oh, keep going, um, please. Yeah. Is uh, carb rinsing or carb washing. OK, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know it? I've, I've heard of it. I'm not very well versed on it. So OK, you can so carb me. rinsing or carb washing was something that was traditionally uh, tennis players do it a lot. A lot of cyclists, you see it in kind of the Tour de France. Last World Cup, a lot more footballers were doing it. So carb rinsing is where we take a carbohydrated drink. So Lucozade, Gatorade, flat Coke, not sugar free because we're looking at it for a sugar hit. Yeah. So the enzyme that's needed to break down carbohydrate is amylase and it's producing the mouth. So salivary amylase is what we feel in our mouth when we start to salivate for yeah. a food. OK, so the body is Body's priming pregnant. already chemical digestion. So what we do is we take carbohydrate in our mouth, swish it around, spit it back out. The signals will be that we've consumed carbohydrate and it will give a boost in performance for, I don't know the actual percentage and figures on it, but it will give us a temporary boost in performance no because it will trick the brain to think that we've consumed carbohydrate and it will pull deep on the storage to get that last to bit. Get it, yeah. Now, it will only work in the latter part of an event and if we've had adequate carbohydrate storage. You're not just going to go keto, take a drink of carbohydrate and hope for the best. It's not going to work. Okay. Or you don't do it at mile three in a marathon. So are you looking at this in the context of somebody who might be on a low carbohydrate diet and doesn't want to actually consume no, the carbohydrate? No, no, no. I'm looking at it from a perspective of an athlete who's performing and physically doesn't want to eat or drink drink oh, okay. because yeah, of yeah, yeah. the uncomfortableness in the latter part of an event or you. the intensity's high in That's a tennis game. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. So carb rinsing or carb washing. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's crazy. Now, they were talking that they're not going to, you're not going to see it as much now post-COVID or with COVID, you know, you okay, can't yeah. do it, but I've seen it happen loads of times. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. another example of understanding how your body reacts to this certain substance, because food, food is fuel, mm. um, and understanding how your body reacts to that and how you can bear benefit of that like I I talk to people about biohacking all the time and there's loads of different definitions of that but for me that would be a biohack because yeah. you were literally hacking yeah, your own mainframe here yeah, and, yeah, and no. saying 
But again, use it in the latter part. When you're feeling under pressure, you don't want to eat. Your stomach mightn't be well because of whatever. You haven't had a good fueling system or you haven't done it right. It's a, it's, it is a hack. Yeah. It, it's a way of, of getting around it, you know. Yeah, so yeah. it is understanding that. So just to, just to kind of tidy up the, the last bit of the VO2 and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, we, we've gone into beautiful depth on, on how all of this works. So if I come to you in Health Matters, mm-hmm. what's the process for okay, VO2 Max. Why am I coming to you first? If I'm, if I'm coming to you, why am I coming to you in, in, in Health Matters for my VO2 Max test? I'm looking to improve performance in a certain way. Looking to improve performance, definitely. Um, identify thresholds, training zones. Yeah. Might be looking at calorie expenditure. You might just want to check your heart health, make sure it's okay. A couple of runners, older runners that start in sport that just say, I just want to make sure everything's okay. okay. But realistically, nine times out of ten, it's too probably eight times out of ten, it's to get the threshold zones. To get an education is to the science terminology, aerobic, anaerobic, what it means. And basically, what do they need to do to get better? Okay. So the process would be contact me via email, social media, whatever. Um, I will get a call in with you straight away. Uh, over lockdown, we have now gone all online. So everything will be booked via an online booking system. Confirmation email, 24 hours prior to your test. Confirmation text message. You'll rock up to me if you're coming to my facility in West Park Fitness in Tala. You'll come in, access to the change in facilities. I'll meet you at reception, bring you up onto the floor, bike test, road test, run test, whatever the case is. Progressive overload, start to finish until you physically can't go anymore. Up into the office and then we'll go through all your data. And that's where the education is. You know, okay. like it's only a process up until that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. that you're going to take, like t- yeah. take it through. And then it's up to me to interpret what way each individual needs to be told this data. Like I mightn't go into hydrogen ion production with Peter. Yeah. Because he doesn't need to know it. Yeah. You know, I will dumb it down if I need to or if I have someone that's question, 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 I'll blow them out of the water with the information. But they have to leave understanding it. Yeah. If they don't leave understanding it, I haven't done my job. Okay. You'll get your file there and then. On the back of the main sheet, there's a full explanation of all terminology used. There's a couple of pages of graphs and things like that that I would go through with you. And then there's a summary report put in at the back. So again, all scientific terminology used. What a tempo is, what an interval is, why do we do this? You have a unique test ID number. So if you lose your file, you ring me. If you want to talk about your file post-testing, you ring me. What's this? Or you come back, we pull your file up. We put them on top of each other. So we correlate your graphs. Yeah, look yeah, at yeah. the changes in this. Look at this, your bike, this is your run test, that type of thing. Okay. Time frame wise, believe it or believe it not, it'd be done in an hour. Yeah. Okay. So we lower an hour for our booking VO2. Yeah. Metabolic can be done in 30 minutes or an hour. If we do VO2 and metabolic, an hour, hour and a half, we add nutrition, two hours. You know, there's, there's lots of different things that, that, that do come into play when we're doing it. Yeah. It's a very straightforward process. There's absolutely nothing to be concerned or worried about. My job or the staff's job is to make sure you're comfortable. The only time I had any uncomfortable. <laughs> the only time I had someone fall off a treadmill was. I was uh, wondering what you're going to say. Um, he had never been on a treadmill before, and he thought he was moving the treadmill. Oh yeah. And okay. at seventeen and a half kilometers an hour, he oh, stopped Jesus his leg. <laughs> Gone. Yeah. Now he was the best runner in the club, 
and oh, like yeah. the a couple of people had come in to watch him. You know, we were on site down. Oh, we were in Limerick, <laughs> and uh, the way we were, there was a camera right beside us as well. We had it on camera. He was fine yeah. now, thankfully. Whatever way he went on the treadmill, he ended up getting shot up in the air and landed on his arse and spat out the back. Oh, okay. Which was great, you know. Yeah, but yeah. that's the only time I've ever had anything happen to people. Yeah. Um, yeah, the mask can be a bit daunting. The thought of it, but the process, you will always have oxygen available. Yeah. Like when you're when you're standing still. The level of oxygen you have available will be the same at the end. Why it becomes uncomfortable is because the frequency of exhale. The mask gets warm psychologically, you start to doubt. Yeah. You know, but that's up to me and Keelan to, to, to keep pushing you and making sure that you're you're comfortable and safe throughout. Once we do an active recovery, up into the office, go through it all, you have access to the showers, facility in the gym, free parking on site, exit 11 off the M50. We work six days a week, minimum, um, Monday to Saturday. I've taken Sundays back only in the last couple of years. Now, get the balance back, man. Yeah, if you, I know. No, I do take time <laughs> off. But now work-life balance is, is vitally important. Yeah. And something that I've learned over lockdown, believe it or not, it's been good for me. Yeah. Um, in saying that, I did say post-lockdown one, I'm going to take more time off. But I, I had a backlog. <laughs> you have a passion for it. Yeah. Though, you love it. Like. And then weekends. We do full weekends for clubs. So Very good. if okay. you're in Mayo and you want me to travel, I'm going to try and get it done in one weekend. So if we need to get two machines on site for three days, one machine on site for two days, it doesn't matter. We'll, we'll make it work. So Sundays do work for me. I don't do Sunday bookings on an individual basis. Okay. But we do evening appointments. So we work till nine o'clock on a Wednesday, work till seven o'clock most days. Don't start too early. Start at 10 a.m. On a Saturday will be my earliest start. I start about half eight on a Saturday. Um, and then work because we close a bit earlier on a Saturday kind of half four okay um, in terms of contact um, my number is on the website the website's myhealthmatters.ie we're on social media so Instagram is at healthmatters 6411 Twitter is at healthmatters with one T in the matters and <laughs> Facebook <social> <laughs> Facebook is at healthmatters Ireland but look I'm sure we you can tag them in, in the show notes absolutely I'll, like I'll have it all up in the show notes and just, just a little caveat as well like I've done a lot of these, not a lot, I've done a few of these tests and not with yourself, but yeah, it's slightly uncomfortable for, for a period of time, but it's not the nightmare people imagine it no. to be. And, and, and I'm imagining with yourself and my experience was very, very positive in terms of it's very controlled. You're always very, very safe. I asked you about the big red button. There is a big red emergency button there if you need it. Yeah. The mask is a little bit uncomfortable because it's unfamiliar, but it's not a nightmare situation. Some people look at, oh God, I don't want that to be me. Recently, I had two fellas come in with GoPros. Oh, cool. We, we recorded the whole thing. Cool. So they're up on my Instagram, um, and you'll see the face of them when we take the mask off. Yeah. Like the art, the art of getting the mask off in one second is, is, is key. <laughs> you know, so... Within, Get this thing off yeah, Within a minute, within five seconds, you're completely... You're back. You're, you're back. Yeah, you're yeah. fine. There is a moment of really uncomfortableness, but yeah. it's worth it. Yeah, it is. It there is, is temporary pain for long-term success. Look, we've just talked for nearly two hours about mm. the benefits of understanding this type of data and VO2max in particular has so many benefits for 15, 20 minutes of... of yeah, being, and it's and not, it's not just 15, 20 minutes number. of discomfort. No, it's, absolutely it's not. It's a minute, maybe. Three, four. <laughs> just, trying nice. just trying to get you a bit of business here. It's three or four yeah, minutes no, it's one minute, no. of, of discomfort yeah. for all of this information. But what's really important is it's not a Fitbit. It's not an app that's going to spit you all, this, all, all these numbers on your phone. You're going to get frustrated by it. You're there to help individualize this. For me, that's the most important part of this because you can go and get tests for anything everywhere. And anyone who's been for blood testing or GP or whatever, 
is familiar with being given numbers and and not really understanding exactly what to do with them mm. and being a little bit frustrated and disillusioned. What I like, really like about what you've explained in your approach is it's individualized. You're going to take that data, but make it work for that person. And it's not about, right, there you go, Sheila. Thanks very much. See you next week. Yeah. It's about, right, Sheila, where do you want to go? Okay, here's where you are and here's the numbers, here's the information. And here's also how we're going to get you towards where you want to go. Now, you have to do a bit of work, but mm -hmm. here's your guidelines or your your routine or your structure or your feedback. They will have to do a bit of work and that's a good point though because yeah. I only arm you with the information. That's the point, yeah. And they have to go and do the work. You have to do it. Yeah. But it's much easier to do it when you know what you're doing, why you're doing it and you're being guided. The why I think is the yeah. more important yeah. as to why you have to run slow yeah. or as to why you... Can't wait to run slow. Uh, <laughs> can't to, wait to go out and do me 5k uh, now in two hours. <laughs> as to why you have to run a kilometre in four minutes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, Understanding yeah, yeah. the theory understanding the process and I'm always there for people to contact me post-testing yeah. always if I don't want to answer the call because it's too late I won't <laughs> and I'll ring you back yeah. send me a voice note on WhatsApp I'll respond to you like I'm often criticised for being on my phone but I'm running a business that is reliant on customers understanding and I've no problem getting back People now, it's funny. People ring me. Yeah, Sean, I did a test with you in February 2017. What was my score again? <laughs> I'm like, hold on, let me just have yeah, a pink. I was, you like, were I was like, hang on, pal. I have no clue. Yeah. You know, so I need specific numbers when you ring me. Or, <laughs> but just never feel. I always say, never feel afraid to reach out to me and ask me the question. It's my job to know it. It's not yours. Yeah. And when we educate them, sometimes it can be a bit daunting. What did he mean by this? What did he mean by that? And then if we do a club, everybody might take a bit different on. You're all talking, and people yeah, are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, what's the story? But it's um it is it's it's special i love it personalized individual numbers and data based off science yeah you can't argue with it literally you can argue with it but, but it's wrong. pointless <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know so yeah. you know big push on at the moment uh, we're looking to really get more out there for the the country work so if there is any clubs that do think or any individuals that do think that this would benefit them um Look, just get in contact with us, you know. Um, send me an email, include your number and I'll ring you. If you don't include your number, I'm going to ask you for your number and I'm going to ring you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm that, like, I never try and do bookings over the email. I just think a lot of it gets lost. Yeah. So I'd like to speak to you before you come in. Um, we do some wheelchair testing as well with the hand bikes. Oh, very good. Yeah, yeah very cool. interesting. Yeah, I did that a couple of them this year. Yeah. Or sorry, last year. Really interesting. The first time I've ever done it, you know, so... Wow. Uh, depending on what your sport is, there, there is there's definitely something there. there's something there. And there, there, I, not just from a business perspective, I believe the benefits of it is just there's something there for anyone that has any interest in health and performance. Yeah. Sean Canan, I genuinely both really enjoyed that conversation mm -hmm. there. And based off our chat before we turned the mics on, we have another three or four podcasts to go because we haven't gotten into no. Most of I knew when stuff. we spoke, I was like, I know that the VO2 stuff is just going to go on too much before even mentioning metabolic testing. Yeah, and, and there's no point, like no. we're two hours in, there's no. no point overloading people. I think that was really specific and really good. Yeah. I, I, I really enjoyed it. And I, I wasn't quite sure how you were going to communicate all of this information about VO2 max. And you didn't disappoint. It was really, really valuable. And I, I mean, I know I buzz off this stuff anyway. And I'm sure everybody from the elite athlete to Mary on the couch. Sorry, Mary. We keep using Mary <laughs> on the couch. There's something in that for everybody. Yeah. Um, so I really appreciate your time. I'm going to lock you in right now in front of everybody. We're going to have you back on. Absolutely. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. Um, we've lots more to talk about. But uh, thank you so much for the value you've no brought. Problem. Really appreciate it. It's and, a pleasure. Uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Yeah. Cheers, man. Well, the brain will be tired after all of that. 
Such an informative conversation. And thanks again to Sean. I am definitely looking forward to round two. Thank you to everyone who's been listening to the podcast and sharing the show with your friends and family. The feedback has been absolutely brilliant. I'm really ramping things up in the coming weeks and months. We have lots of exciting guests and topics coming, so thank you. At the moment, one of the best ways to help a podcast you like to grow and develop is to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts. So if you do enjoy this show, it will be massively helpful if you rate the Primal Podcast. And if you're not quite sure how to do this, I'll pop some links up in our social media during the week to help you. I really appreciate your support. If you want to keep your finger on the pulse and follow us, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Primal Pro. Visit the website www.primal.ie. And if you'd like to get in touch with the Primal team, you can email podcast at primal.ie. And don't forget, guys, Sean has kindly offered a discount to any listeners of the Primal Podcast if you want to have some VO2 max or metabolic testing done. So head over to the Health Matters website, www.myhealthmatters.ie, or get in touch with Sean through his social media to book your tests in now. See you next time.